the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I got to tell you what, Zach, there ain't nothing going on today. What a boring day it is, news-wise, here, uh, you know, for my show. It's in, in, incredible. It really is. I mean, you know, we got we got Carrie Severino going to be with us, co-author with uh, uh, Molly Hemingway on Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearing. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about that. I got... Carrie, how are you today? Let, let's get you get you up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. First of all, I, I got to ask you: the big news story today is will they or won't they impeach this president? This is, these Democrats are the craziest people I've ever seen. Uh, you know, they, some of them certainly want to impeach anything that's moving in this administration. <laughs> whether that's whether that's the president, the Supreme Court justices. I mean, it's like it, it doesn't matter if it's anyone who's ever been in the same room as Trump. Impeach him. <laughs> so, that's the truth. I, I, you, when even Nancy, Nancy Pelosi is uh, sounding a little skittish about it, though, I think that that shows that uh, that's not really what a lot of people want to do. And I think I think there's some extreme elements in the Democrat Party that are trying to drag the whole party to the left. We see it there. We see it all over the place. Well, here's what I see. I see a president who knows what he's doing. He plays these people like a fiddle and he's let them go get into a lather about this phone call and. He's seen the transcript. You know he's seen the transcript. He knows there's nothing there. Boom. He's going to drop it tomorrow, and the American people are going to go, what? What? They're going to, they're going to sound like Joe Biden. Come on, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to hear it right now. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think I think it's, it's what's sillier to me even is that if they're, they're they've been trying to impeach President Trump since about November of 2016. Yeah. Um, but the latest calls where they're trying to impeach Justice Kavanaugh to me is even a notch yes. crazier because, you know, they first of all, federal judges serve during good behavior. That means you can't impeach them for things that happened before they were on the bench. <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute, we're talking 30 years before. He Never the stopped a Democrat. And, and and it's not even there. It, it's events that, as as you know, my co-author Molly and I have been trying to point out. You know, that if you if you actually look at what really we know about this, there is nothing there. The woman that's part of these, you know, alleged new allegations that they've breathlessly reported, apparently doesn't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going. Wait a minute. What what do you even have there? Even assuming you could impeach him on something 30 years ago, it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, what they really want to do, and they want to do it with Trump, and they want to do it with Kavanaugh. They're trying to discredit everything mm-hmm. he does. And it's really scary when that's something that's going on with the Supreme Court, because this is this is um, one of the many fronts in which there are attacks going on right now against judicial independence. Our judges aren't supposed to. They're on there for life because they're not supposed to be influenced by outside forces, supposed to be pure legal decisions. But you have a lot of people who want to be influencing the judges. And it's things like threatening to impeach them, like threatening to ruin their reputations with unfounded allegations. Um, you, we've had even uh, senators submitting an amicus brief in, in a case recently saying, well, if you don't rule our way, we're going might have to restructure the court. So yeah. we're, we're threatening you with 
changes to your very institution. That's crazy. And it is, it is a really frightening thing to see people trying to um, strong arm and bully and threaten judges in that way. That is a branch that is supposed to be insulated from that. Well, the last time we saw this was with FDR, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Justice Ginsburg pointed that out the other day when they were saying, what do you think about this court packing scheme? And she's like, I think they tried to do that with FDR. And she ought to know. She probably, she might have been alive then. Um, <laughs> she uh, it, it didn't work so well. And so it's like, hello, calmer heads, um, you know, should prevail. It's, and it's amazing that someone who is as deeply liberal as Justice Ginsburg, I think if she were running for president right now, would be way too far to the center of the current mm. so you're going oh my gosh you guys listen to the woman um she she says this is a really bad idea do not go down this route so carrie let me ask i mean you and molly have written this book justice on trial the kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the supreme court what was it what was the tipping point for you two as you were watching the confirmation of kavanaugh and you threw your hands up and probably the food that you had at the tv and you said this is insane. We have got to get the story out about this. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think for me, that may have come earlier than most because I was already uh, worried before he was nominated how crazy it would get. And the day he was nominated, the yeah. fact that people came out there, they came out with piles of signs, you know, oppose Kavanaugh, oppose Hardiman, oppose Barrett. They didn't care who was nominated. They're just like, we know we just we just got to oppose this person. They were on the steps of the Supreme Court shouting and these apocalyptic predictions of the kind of stuff that's going to happen mm-hmm. if, uh, if Kavanaugh is confirmed. And you know it's not serious. And there was a really funny part we learned about later in the, in the process where Senator um, Bernie Sanders was, was complaining. This is bad when they're complaining about there's not enough FBI investigation, et cetera. And he, he's complaining about this. And Senator Grassley, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, writes him a letter and says, oh, you know, thanks so much, Bernie. I didn't realize you were still considering voting for this nominee because you told me you were going to vote against him from day one. Well, hey, if you really think it'll make a difference in your vote, maybe we should sit down and talk. <laughs> so just kind of calling him out on, hello, you guys have said you were not going to vote against this guy no matter what. So why, why do we have to appease you? There is no appeasing someone who already has decided against the nominee. If you, if you had a two-month FBI investigation, they're not going to be happy until you find some kind of information damning enough to block his nomination. So rather than have a federally funded fishing expedition, which is what they wanted, um, you know, it's like, well, we have we can look at this guy, but we do have to eventually move forward. So it's just it's hard to even think of a single moment there because it started from day one and it didn't even end when he was confirmed because we're throwing up our hands now going. Can you not leave this poor man and his family alone? You're trying to dredge up new stuff that, with no journalistic integrity in terms of printing, you know, mere rumor. Uh, but that's that's where we're at. Yeah. Do you buy that whole story about how uh, they forgot to put in that uh, she didn't remember anything, and it was the editor who dropped that, and then the uh, the author of this new book went back and she says, "Yeah, I read what he wrote uh, to go in and." Uh, I, somehow I just missed that. And I just, I'm sorry. I used to be a journalist before I became a talk show host. I've been doing, doing radio for 50 years and worked in Chicago and a lot of other places. You just don't miss that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And it's ultimately now. Don't get me wrong. The editor deserves some blame because the editor well, yeah. saw this information and and ought to, any any sane person knows. Oh, this is key to the story. And if we take it, it's not just about oh, I need to get under five hundred words or something. No, no, no. <laughs> you have to. Right. You really need uh, that information, or the or the story is dishonest. So they deserve to be blamed for this. But the author, it's your name on it. And mm-hmm. I, again, I, I I agree with you. You like when you when it's your piece. You get to look at it, and you get the final call, and they you you can't just overlook something like that. On top of which, that's not the only time they've left out that information. Um, there, there, for example, they did an interview on NPR talking about the allegation, and they did not mention the fact that the woman denies it. So you can't blame that on the editor. Uh, there have been other cases. There are other stories in this book, in fact, where they talk about allegations. In one case, an allegation that was vehemently denied by the woman he was dating at the time. Someone said he, they saw him push his girlfriend in a bar, and the woman who was dating at the time wrote in and, 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 and under uh, you know penalty of felony to the committee and said, no, he was always, this never happened. He was always a gentleman to me. They don't mention that. So this is not the only case that they fail to mention exonerating evidence, and it's not when they've talked about it in live interviews, they have neglected to mention that evidence. So don't blame the editors. Okay, so you and Molly sat down, you you a co-writer with her co-author. This is Carrie Severino, by the way. Molly Hemingway, the other author of the book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh, Confirmation, the Future of the Supreme Court. And uh, as you guys were going through this, were there any moments that you came across and you went, you have got to be kidding? I mean, you, it, it, I mean you've been around for a long, you know, for a while, Carrie. You know, you know politics. But did some of the stuff that you ran across just was like beyond the pale to you? Well, again, I, I, it would be so hard to even list the numbers of things that we just came home. And we would, I would tell my husband, oh, my gosh, you will not believe what we heard today. <laughs> you know, and we went in go, thinking we knew a lot about this nomination process, having lived through it and watched it. Um, one of the scenes that I just kept on being shocked, I didn't know it even happened and got weirder every person we talked to was this scene in the anteroom. This is after Senator Flake, after this reopened hearing is done and it's getting ready to be voted out of committee, Senator Flake um, gets accosted in the elevator and starts to go wobbly and he leaves the hearing room in the middle of this Senate committee meeting. And then he goes in the back room and he kind of calls Senator Coons over and they go in the back room and nobody knew what was happening. Well, we talked to so many people that were in that room and it was a crazy, crazy scene. It's a small room. But normally, there's a table that wouldn't even fit all the committee members at it. They had almost the entire Senate Judiciary Committee in there, all tons of their staff. There's like a little bathroom. Senator Hatch is in the bathroom calling the ABA to try to sort out something they've done. Senator Coons and Senator Flake are both of them tucked together inside a phone booth. You think it's impressive what Clark Kent could do in a phone booth. This is like <laughs> over the top. There's other, Senator Cornyn's trying to fit in there with him. These are big guys. Like, how, I don't even know how that, how that happens. You've got spittle flying people being stepped on, people, sh- they were, they were, apparently senators literally threatening to punch, threatening to punch each other out. I mean, they were so frustrated at this point. And a lot of that was the Republicans being so frustrated with what they felt like was Democrats abusing the process, violating the systems that were in place that everyone knew were there um, to protect, uh, protect nominees and to protect people who had made allegations. There was a system in place for the Senate ever since Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, because they said we want to be able to look into allegations, but 
We don't want to create a circus. We don't want to expose nominees unnecessarily if, there, if it turns out there's nothing. And we don't want to expose the people making the allegations because it's not fair for them to be dragged into the limelight either. Instead of following that process, which would have achieved all of these goals, you could have looked into it without making Christine Blasey Ford take the stand, without making Kavanaugh, um, destroying his reputation publicly. They didn't do that. Senator Feinstein held on to this letter. And the way it was run was so infuriating to the Senate Republicans um, that, that that scene in that back room just turned into a complete fiasco. And that was that was part of the, the fueling anger behind it. Did the Democrats honestly think that they, that they could stop this? Did they honestly believe they could? Well, you know, I think I think for a while there they probably did, because from our reporting, it was really on a, a knife's edge for, you know, that toward the end there, it, it might have been stopped, you know, at some point. Um, I think their, their strategy all along, though, was to delay. They wanted to get it past the election if they could. They thought it was going to help them in the election. I think right. it turned out the way they did it, it really hurt them because people were so incensed at the, the, the shenanigans going on. Um, but then they thought they could try, hopefully try to defeat him. And if that didn't work, they wanted to discredit him. And we have evidence of that recently because there was a, a video uncovered by a reporter, Ryan Lovelace, talking about Deborah Katz. She was, it was, this is the woman who is Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer. She's giving a speech, and she said, we wanted to put an asterisk next to his name. Mm. We wanted so that whenever, especially if he, his decisions he, he would do potentially on abortion, we wanted that to flavor everything he did. So they really just want to say, hey, this justice doesn't count. And uh, that is a that's a really dangerous uh, uh, strategy to have. And I think it's one they've used against Justice Thomas as well. I clerked for Justice Thomas and I've seen it over the years. I mean, they didn't just pack up and go home after defeating him. They engaged in a decade long propaganda campaign so that so many people don't realize uh, that he is one of the most influential and insightful members of the bench. Instead, all they think of is, oh, didn't he have this kind of confirmation thing back then? And you look at the way they talk about it, HBO, for example, and all mm -hmm. the, the reimaginings, they make it look like Anita Hill was clearly telling the truth. In fact, the people who watched the hearings at the time, two to one, did not believe her and believed Thomas over her. So they don't tell the story of, oh, these were never substantiated. Oh, she changed her story multiple times. And the FBI agents said so. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they, they don't say that part. Yeah, it's 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 incredible how the Republicans are treated and and their nominees. I mean, I can go back to Bork. I'll never forget Bork. I'll just never forget what they did to that man. He was one of probably one of the great minds that would have been great on the court. And he didn't get his shot at the court because they didn't want him there. I mean, Teddy Kennedy didn't want him there. It's that simple. Well, he didn't, he didn't want him there, and they had the power by the time Bork was in the bench to do that. Because when we were, we tell some of the history to give the context of Kavanaugh, and so we tell the Bork story. But one of the things we learned that I didn't know even before is that he gave that famous Robert Bork America speech of how horrible America is going to be if Robert Bork is yep. in court. I didn't realize he had given that almost that same speech before about Chief Justice Rehnquist, that if he were Chief Justice, here's all these horrible things that are going to happen. But at the time, they didn't control the Senate. And so they, while they made it hard for Rehnquist, they weren't able to block him. And then they tried it again after having won the Senate. So I think that is a good reminder that people like to talk about elections have consequences. And I would like to remind them, elections for the Senate also have consequences. Yes, they so, do. You know, if, 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 the, if the Democratic Senate had been in control during Bork's nomination, uh, I think we would have had a Justice Bork today. Oh, boy, I can only imagine what he... 
That book, Slouching Towards Gamora, is one of the best books mm-hmm. ever written. Carrie Severino is our guest. She, along with Molly Hemingway, have uh, penned the book Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. So let's talk about the future. We've got just a few moments left together in this uh, interview. Uh, what do you s- see this? I mean, it's it's really become so even more partisan than what it was back in, in Bork's day. I mean, I'm I'm hoping Amy gets her shot from Notre Dame uh, the next time around if the president is reelected, and uh, I can only imagine what that's going to be like. Well, yeah, whoever the next nominee is, I think they have to be prepared. And that that's one of the reasons we wrote this book, because we know this isn't the last nomination that's going to have this kind of hostility and this kind of stakes. And it's it's really the stakes of the nomination that determine how crazy it gets. You know, it wasn't as it was definitely there was a lot of hostility about placing replacing Scalia with Gorsuch, but it was nowhere near this level. And that's because Kavanaugh was replacing a swing vote on the court. And that's mm-hmm. a big, big deal. Imagine if you have a Trump nominee replacing a liberal vote on the court that that would create a shift and a sea change in the court. I think, you know, it's hard to imagine the left going more ballistic, but they sure would try. And um, so I think if we have to be prepared. We have to know what happened. It's it's the old adage, if you've got to know your history, you're going to be condemned to repeat it. And then we have to hold people accountable uh, for the actions they took during this, whether that's the senators, none of whom have really received anything uh, like a reprimand for having violated the Senate rules and procedures over this during this nomination, whether that's the people who submitted false allegations. And there's some people who admitted to having submitted false allegations. You know, there's, there's others that we all are going, wait a minute, there's, there's inconsistencies here. This doesn't add up. But there, there are some that are admittedly and demonstrably false. They've been referred to the DOJ for um, investigation, for criminal investigation, because it's a felony. Do not lie to the judiciary. Committee. That's right. a felony. Um, and they have nothing's happened. So if, if, if there are no consequences, then we could, that's guaranteeing that next time we're going to see this same process repeat again. So what do you what do you say to, you know, Amy or whoever it might be that comes up to, for the next Supreme Court justice? I mean, how do you prepare somebody to be vilified like that? I mean, to everybody to be told that you're the worst thing uh, since the scum on the be- bottom of the ocean. Uh, I think this is why it's important that Trump's list has people on it not. And she's she's not the only one of these. There's people on there who have demonstrated that they can stand up to public pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's something you have to kind of vet for going in. Um, So someone who's willing to see because it's it's whether they're during their confirmation process or seeing what The New York Times writes about you when you make a decision that they don't like. um, You have to be ready to stand up to it. Um, I love what one justice pointed out to us as we were. Um, interviewing them about the, about this book, saying, you know, we ask our men and women in uniform to put a lot more than their reputations on the line every day. And so um, so I think that kind of is, is a good fortifying thing to say, you know what, this could be really horrible, but there are people who put their lives on the line for our country. And so I can I can do at least this much. Um, but I do think we all need to have our eyes open and make sure that we don't get hoodwinked by people following this same playbook that they've used over and over again, um, and, and that we don't see more of the same and forget the history that we've had um, going into it now. And I think we can also, you know, take heart that it, in some ways it is a healthy uh, thing for judges to realize, you know what, you're not going to get necessarily praised by people on the left, no matter how reasonable you appear. So don't, don't try to, you know, don't try to pander in your opinions to anyone 
because that's not going to, they're not going to forgive you for having a, you know, conservative opinion that one day do what you know is legally right and be willing to do that and stand up to whatever pressure. And I think that's what's ultimately going to bear the best legacy for every justice in the court. So what, uh, last question for you, what uh, should the Republican Party pull out of this? What do we need to learn from this uh, whole historical matter that has that has happened? Well, I think we need to, I think the reason Kavanaugh got confirmed is because a lot of the people in the process did know their history. They were there watching during the, the Thomas confirmation, whether that's White House counsel Don McGahn, whether that's Leader McConnell and Senator Grassley, both of whom were in the Senate mm-hmm. at the time. I think it was very important to have people who recognized that in the process, or you may have seen this nomination go go down in flames. Um, so I think know know your history, and then I think just there's there's you know I think they'll probably take more care with confidential materials because people like Spartacus Booker have shown that they're not willing to respect um, confidentiality in any way. I think uh, you know it's just a matter of being always ready to respond to um, scurrilous allegations right. <laughs> and things like that. And uh, you know I think it's, it's the kind of thing that you just have to go in with everyone on the same page, going guys. We're not. We know what's coming, and let's not go wobbly uh, when the going gets tough. All right, Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway, her uh, co-author, Justice on Trial: The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. Highly recommend, folks, that you read it. You need to know what the enemy's playbook is. I'm just telling you, you got to know. And Carrie, you and uh, Molly did a good job of just laying it out and letting people see for what it was. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Gary Severino here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Great interview. Great, great lady and very articulate and uh, has a good sense of humor, too, and that's good. Uh, Molly Hemingway has written a few other books. Uh, be interesting to see if her and, uh, and Molly get together and write anything further uh, in the future. Again, the name of the book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme court. All right. So here's how the rest of the show will play out today. When we come back from our break, we're going to play president Trump's uh, speech to the UN. A lot of you didn't get a chance to hear it. I haven't even had a chance to hear it. I was doing things, uh, you know, here at work that didn't let me get around the TV or on uh, the internet and to take part in listening to what the president had to say. Let me bring you up to date on what's happened today. So the Democrats look like they want to start impeachment hearings uh, on the president. I think it's going to be a very bad thing for them to do, to be honest. I just saw that Joe Biden, uh, former Vice President Biden, former Senator Biden, uh, made a statement about uh, uh, the president uh, saying, you know, this is not the way a president of the United States should act, blah, blah, blah. You know, the thing that everybody says about Trump, Trump is Trump, just the way it is. Trump is Trump, and he's going to act like Trump. That's what he's going to do. Uh, the president has said that he's going to uh, release uh, the transcript unredacted from that call, and he says, everybody's going to see. I didn't try to pressure anybody into anything. I think he's given the Democrats all the rope they want to put the noose around their neck. We'll find out tomorrow if that's the case. We've got a lot more to talk about. Here is the news. All right, back with you. Just wanted to let you know the Wall Street Journal is now uh, reporting that Pelosi will announce a formal formal impeachment inquiry 
at 4 o'clock our time. We'll take that live uh, so that you'll be able to hear it. She's going to make a, a, a statement, two or three minutes, evidently, and then not take any questions. The president is supposed to speak here anytime. When he does, we'll take it live uh, and hear what he has to say. But a lot of this stuff's coming to a head now. And, of course, you know uh, you can uh, trust this show to keep everything out there in front of you so that you know what's going on. So let's uh, hear what the president had to say. You heard a little bit during the news that uh, the president you know, called Iran the number one provocateur of terrorism throughout the uh, uh, the world. Now let's hear what his whole speech had to uh, talk about at the U.N. today. Thank you very much, Mr. President, Mr. Secretary General, distinguished delegates, ambassadors, and world leaders. Seven decades of history have passed through this hall in all of their richness and drama. Where I stand, the world has heard from presidents and premiers at the height of the Cold War. We have seen the foundation of nations. We have seen the ringleaders of revolution. We have beheld saints who inspired us with hope rebels who stirred us with passion, and heroes who emboldened us with courage. All here to share plans, proposals, visions, and ideas on the world's biggest stage. Like those who met us before, our time is one of great contests, high stakes, and clear choices. The essential divide that runs all around the world and throughout history is once again thrown into stark relief. It is the divide between those whose thirst for control deludes them into thinking they are destined to rule over others, and those people and nations who want only to rule themselves. I have the immense privilege of addressing you today as the elected leader of a nation that prizes liberty, independence, and self-government above all. The United States, after having spent over two and a half trillion dollars since my election to completely rebuild our great military, is also by far the world's most powerful nation. Hopefully, it will never have to use this power. Americans know that in a world where others seek conquest and domination, our nation must be strong in wealth, in might, and in spirit. That is why the United States vigorously defends the traditions and customs that have made us who we are. Like my beloved country, each nation represented in this hall has a cherished history, culture, and heritage that is worth defending and celebrating, and which gives us our singular potential and strength. The free world must embrace 
its national foundations. It must not attempt to erase them or replace them. Looking around and all over this large, magnificent planet, the truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. And if you want peace, love your nation. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens, respect their neighbors, and honor the differences that make each country special and unique. It is why we in the United States have embarked on an exciting program of national renewal. In everything we do, we are focused on empowering the dreams and aspirations of our citizens. Thanks to our pro-growth economic policies, our domestic unemployment rate reached its lowest level in over half a century. Fueled by massive tax cuts and regulations cuts, jobs are being produced at a historic rate. Six million Americans have been added to the employment rolls in under three years. Last month, African-American, Hispanic American and Asian American unemployment reached their lowest rates ever recorded. We are marshaling our nation's vast energy abundance, and the United States is now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. Wages are rising, incomes are soaring, and 2.5 million Americans have been lifted out of poverty in less than three years. As we rebuild the unrivaled might of the American military, we are also revitalizing our alliances by making it very clear that all of our partners are expected to pay their fair share of the tremendous defense burden which the United States has borne in the past. At the center of our vision for national renewal is an ambitious campaign to reform international trade. For decades, the international trading system has been easily exploited by nations acting in very bad faith. As jobs were outsourced, a small handful grew wealthy at the expense of the middle class. In America, the result was 4.2 million lost manufacturing jobs and $15 trillion in trade deficits over the last quarter century. The United States is now taking that decisive action to end this grave economic injustice. Our goal is simple. We want balanced trade that is both fair and reciprocal. We have worked closely with our partners in Mexico and Canada to replace NAFTA 
with the brand new and hopefully bipartisan U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Tomorrow, I will join Prime Minister Abe of Japan to continue our progress in finalizing a terrific new trade deal. As the United Kingdom makes preparations to exit the European Union, I have made clear that we stand ready to complete an exceptional new trade agreement with the UK that will bring tremendous benefits to both of our countries. We are working closely with Prime Minister Boris Johnson on a magnificent new trade deal. The most important difference in America's new approach on trade concerns our relationship with China. In 2001, China was admitted to the World Trade Organization. Our leaders then argued that this decision would compel China to liberalize its economy and strengthen protections to provide things that were unacceptable to us and for private property and for the rule of law. Two decades later, this theory has been tested and proven completely wrong. Not only has China declined to adopt promised reforms, it has embraced an economic model dependent on massive market barriers, heavy state subsidies, currency manipulation, product dumping, forced technology transfers, and the theft of intellectual property, and also trade secrets on a grand scale. As just one example, I recently met the CEO of a terrific American company, Micron Technology, at the White House. Micron produces memory chips used in countless electronics. To advance the Chinese government's five-year economic plan, a company owned by the Chinese state allegedly stole Micron's designs valued at up to $8.7 billion. Soon, the Chinese company obtains patents for nearly an identical product, and Micron was banned from selling its own goods in China. But we are seeking justice. The United States lost 60,000 factories after China entered the WTO. This is happening to other countries all over the globe. The World Trade Organization needs drastic change. The second largest economy in the world should not be permitted to declare itself a developing country in order to game the system at others' expense. For years, these abuses were tolerated, ignored, or even encouraged. Globalism exerted a religious pull over past leaders, causing them to ignore their own national interests. But as far as America is concerned, those days are over. To confront these unfair practices, I placed massive tariffs on more than $500 billion worth of Chinese-made goods. Already, as a result of these tariffs, supply chains are relocating back to America and to other nations.
and billions of dollars are being paid to our Treasury. The American people are absolutely committed to restoring balance to our relationship with China. Hopefully, we can reach an agreement that would be beneficial for both countries. But as I have made very clear, I will not accept a bad deal for the American people. As we endeavor to stabilize our relationship, we're also carefully monitoring the situation in Hong Kong. The world fully expects that the Chinese government will honor its binding treaty made with the British and registered with the United Nations in which China commits to protect Hong Kong's freedom, legal system, and democratic ways of life. How China chooses to handle the situation will say a great deal about its role in the world in the future. We are all counting on President Xi as a great leader. The United States does not seek conflict with any other nation. We desire peace, cooperation, and mutual gain with all. But I will never fail to defend America's interests. One of the greatest security threats facing peace-loving nations today is the repressive regime in Iran. The regime's record of death and destruction is well known to us all. Not only is Iran the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism, but Iran's leaders are fueling the tragic wars in both Syria and Yemen. At the same time, the regime is squandering the nation's wealth and future in a fanatical quest for nuclear weapons and the means to deliver them. We must never allow this to happen, to stop Iran's path to nuclear weapons and missiles. I withdrew the United States from the terrible Iran nuclear deal, which has very little time remaining, did not allow inspection of important sites, and did not cover ballistic missiles. Following our withdrawal, we have implemented severe economic sanctions on the country. Hoping to free itself from sanctions, the regime has escalated its violent and unprovoked aggression. In response to Iran's recent attack on Saudi Arabian oil facilities, we just imposed the highest level of sanctions on Iran's central bank and sovereign wealth fund. All nations have a duty to act. No responsible government should subsidize Iran's bloodlust. As long as Iran's menacing behavior continues, sanctions will not be lifted. They will be tightened. Iran's leaders will have turned a proud nation into just another cautionary tale of what happens when a ruling class abandons its people and embarks on a crusade for personal power and riches. For 40 years, the world has listened to Iran's rulers as they lash out at everyone else for the problems they alone have created. They conduct 
ritual chants of death to America and traffic in monstrous anti-Semitism. Last year, the country's supreme leader stated Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible, and it will happen. America will never tolerate such anti-Semitic hate. Fanatics have long used hatred of Israel to distract from their own failures. Thankfully, there is a growing recognition in the wider Middle East that the countries of the region share common interests in battling extremism and unleashing economic opportunity. That is why it is so important to have full, normalized relations between Israel and its neighbors. Only a relationship built on common interests, mutual respect, and religious tolerance can forge a better future. Iran citizens deserve a government that cares about reducing poverty, ending corruption, and increasing jobs, not stealing their money to fund and massacre abroad and at home. After four decades of failure, it is time for Iran's leaders to step forward and to stop threatening other countries and focus on building up their own country. It is time for Iran's leaders to finally put the Iranian people first. America is ready to embrace friendship with all who genuinely seek peace and respect. Many of America's closest friends today were once our greatest foes. The United States has never believed in permanent enemies. We want partners, not adversaries. America knows that while anyone can make war, only the most courageous can choose peace. For this same reason, we have pursued bold diplomacy on the Korean Peninsula. I have told Kim Jong-un what I truly believe, that like Iran, his country is full of tremendous untapped potential, but that to realize that promise, North Korea must denuclearize. Around the world, our message is clear. America's goal is lasting. America's goal is harmony. And America's goal is not to go with these endless wars, wars that never end. With that goal in mind, my administration is also pursuing the hope of a brighter future in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, the Taliban has chosen to continue their savage attacks. We will continue to work with our coalition of Afghan partners to stamp out terrorism, and we will never stop working to make peace a reality. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are joining with our partners to ensure stability and opportunity all across the region. In that mission, one of our most critical challenges is illegal immigration, which undermines prosperity 
rips apart societies and empowers ruthless criminal cartels. Mass illegal migration is unfair, unsafe, and unsustainable for everyone involved. The sending countries and the depleted countries, and they become depleted very fast, but their youth is not taken care of, and human capital goes to waste. The receiving countries are overburdened with more migrants than they can responsibly accept, and the migrants themselves are exploited, assaulted, and abused by vicious coyotes. Nearly one-third of women who make the journey north to our border are sexually assaulted along the way. Yet here in the United States and around the world, there is a growing cottage industry of radical activists and non-governmental organizations that promote human smuggling. These groups encourage illegal migration and demand erasure of national borders. Today, I have a message for those open border activists who cloak themselves in the rhetoric of social justice. Your policies are not just. Your policies are cruel and evil. All right. We will come back and play the final pieces of that speech for you when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got news at the top of the hour. Uh, the president is supposed to evidently speak sometime uh, here in this next few minutes. When that happens, we'll take it live. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, will speak at 4 o'clock our time. We'll carry that for you. Evidently, she's going to say they're going to open up an inquiry into impeachment. There's a lot to talk about yet today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into the 3 o'clock hour. Power panel will be here after 3.30, but we wanted to finish up with the president's speech to the U.N. We're doing that for you. A lot of us haven't heard the speech. Been pretty good speeches. I've listened to it. So uh, we will check out that. This just breaking here in Little Rock. A woman just survived jumping off the I-430 bridge into the uh, Arkansas River. They've pulled her out. She is alive. So uh, as we get more information on that, we'll try to get it to you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, let me bring you up to date what's happening with the, with the news. Number one, Nancy Pelosi says that she's going to hold a, uh, uh, not a press conference, but uh, going to make a statement at 4 o'clock our time. We'll carry it live, and you'll hear what she has to say about uh, impeachment. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that she will open an impeachment inquiry. Uh, the president has said that, hey, this is nothing more than a continuation of the witch hunt that uh, started with uh, everything that went through the Mueller report and the Russian collusion and all the rest, and that he's going to release the transcript of that phone call that he had with the Ukrainian president so everybody can see it was on the up and up. No uh, quid pro quo in it at all. It's going to be interesting for the next couple of days, and it's going to be interesting for the rest of this half hour, because right now, here's the rest of the president's speech at the U.N. today. 
You are empowering criminal organizations that prey on innocent men, women, and children. You put your own false sense of virtue before the lives, well-being, and countless innocent people. When you undermine border security, you are undermining human rights and human dignity. Many of the countries here today are coping with the challenges of uncontrolled migration. Each of you has the absolute right to protect your borders. And so, of course, does our country. Today, we must resolve to work together to end human smuggling, end human trafficking, and put these criminal networks out of business for good. To our country, I can tell you sincerely, we are working closely with our friends in the region, including Mexico, Canada, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Panama, to uphold the integrity of borders and ensure safety and prosperity for our people. I would like to thank President Lopez Obrador of Mexico for the great cooperation we are receiving and for right now putting 27,000 troops on our southern border. Mexico is showing us great respect, and I respect them in return. The U.S., we have taken very unprecedented action to stop the flow of illegal immigration. To anyone conducting crossings of our border illegally, please hear these words. Do not pay the smugglers. Do not pay the coyotes. Do not put yourself in danger. Do not put your children in danger. Because if you make it here, you will not be allowed in. You will be promptly returned home. You will not be released into our country. As long as I am President of the United States, we will enforce our laws and protect our borders. For all of the countries of the Western Hemisphere, our goal is to help people invest in the bright futures of their own nation. Our region is full of such incredible promise, dreams waiting to be built, and national destinies for all. And they are waiting also to be pursued. Throughout the hemisphere, there are millions of hardworking, patriotic young people eager to build, innovate, and achieve. But these nations cannot reach their potential if a generation of youth abandon their homes in search of a life elsewhere. We want every nation in our region to flourish and its people to thrive in freedom and peace. In that mission, we are also committed to supporting those people in the Western Hemisphere who live under brutal oppression, such as those in Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. According to a recent report from the UN Human Rights Council, women in Venezuela stand in line for 10 hours a day waiting for food. Over 15,000 people have been detained as political prisoners. Modern-day death squads are carrying out thousands of 
extrajudicial killings. The dictator Maduro is a Cuban puppet protected by Cuban bodyguards, hiding from his own people, while Cuba plunders Venezuela's oil wealth to sustain its own corrupt communist rule. Since I last spoke in this hall, the United States and our partners have built a historic coalition of 55 countries that recognize the legitimate government of Venezuela. To the Venezuelans trapped in this nightmare, please know that all of America is united behind you. The United States has vast quantities of humanitarian aid ready and waiting to be delivered. We're watching the Venezuela situation very closely. We await the day when democracy will be restored, when Venezuela will be free, and when liberty will prevail throughout this hemisphere. One of the most serious challenges our countries face is the specter of socialism. It's the wrecker of nations and destroyer of societies. Events in Venezuela remind us all that socialism and communism are not about justice. They are not about equality. They are not about lifting up the poor. And they are certainly not about good of the nation. Socialism and communism are about one thing only, power for the ruling class. Today I repeat a message for the world that I have delivered at home. America will never be a socialist country. In the last century, socialism and communism killed 100 million people. Sadly, as we see in Venezuela, the death toll continues in this country. These totalitarian ideologies combined with modern technology have the power to excise new and disturbing forms of suppression and domination. For this reason, the United States is taking steps to better screen foreign technology and investments and to protect our data and our security. We urge every nation present to do the same. Freedom and democracy must be constantly guarded and protected, both abroad and from within. We must always be skeptical of those who want conformity and control. Even in free nations, we see alarming signs and new challenges to liberty. A small number of social media platforms are acquiring immense power over what we can see and over what we are allowed to say. A permanent political class is openly disdainful, dismissive and defiant of the will of the people. A faceless bureaucracy operates in secret and weakens democratic rule. Media and academic institutions push flat-out assaults on our histories, traditions, and values. In the United States, my administration has made clear to social media companies 
that we will uphold the right of free speech. A free society cannot allow social media giants to silence the voices of the people. And a free people must never, ever be enlisted in the cause of silencing, coercing, canceling, or blacklisting their own neighbors. As we defend American values, we affirm the right of all people to live in dignity. For this reason, my administration is working with other nations to stop criminalizing of homosexuality. And we stand in solidarity with LGBTQ people who live in countries that punish, jail, or execute individuals based upon sexual orientation. We are also championing the role of women in our societies. Nations that empower women are much wealthier, safer, and much more politically stable. It is therefore vital not only to a nation's prosperity, but also is vital to its national security to pursue women's economic development. Guided by these principles, my administration launched the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiatives. The WGDP is the first ever government-wide approach to women's economic empowerment, working to ensure that women all over the planet have the legal right to own and inherit property, work in the same industries as men, travel freely, and access credit and institutions. Yesterday, I was also pleased to host leaders for a discussion about an ironclad American commitment protecting religious leaders and also protecting religious freedom. All right. We will finish up the president's speech to the U.N. today when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Want to uh, welcome everybody on uh, Facebook Live. We're out of Facebook jail now. So uh, when the power panel gets here, you'll be able to watch everything that's going on. Going on. Jan Morgan's bringing her mother today. It is her 77th birthday. And so she's bringing her by to, to meet me. And she's got uh, some surgery planned for tomorrow in uh, Little Rock. You know, if you have a 96% chance, you got a 96% chance of losing, of losing $111,000 in Social Security benefits. That's according to new research in Bloomberg. 96% of Americans lose $111,000 in Social Security benefits because they take their benefits at the wrong time. You can learn how you can avoid that by going to an educational workshop, Maximizing Social Security with David Lucas, right here in Little Rock. Two workshops this month, one tonight on the 24th and the other coming up on Thursday, the 26th. Registrations, $20. Seats are selling fast. If you've saved $250,000, register now. By calling 501-653-6690. The workshop is going to reveal the little-known strategies that could help you wring every nickel out of your benefits that are rightfully yours. So here's the number to call again. 
653-6690, or you can register online at davidlucasfinancial.com. This fundamental right is under growing threat around the world. Hard to believe, but 80% of the world's population lives in countries where religious liberty is in significant danger or even completely outlawed. Americans will never fire or tire in our effort to defend and promote freedom of worship and religion. We want and support religious liberty for all. Americans will also never tire of defending innocent life. We are aware that many United Nations projects have attempted to assert a global right to taxpayer-funded abortion on demand right up until the moment of delivery. Global bureaucrats have absolutely no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that wish to protect innocent life. Like many nations here today, we in America believe that every child, born and unborn, is a sacred gift from God. There is no circumstance under which the United States will allow international entries to trample on the rights of our citizens, including the right to self-defense. That is why this year I announced that we will never ratify the U.N. Arms Trade Treaty, which would threaten the liberties of law-abiding American citizens. The United States will always uphold our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. We will always uphold our Second Amendment. The core rights and values America defends today were inscribed in America's founding documents. Our nation's founders understood that there will always be those who believe they are entitled to wield power and control over others. Tyranny advances under many names and many theories, but it always comes down to the desire for domination. It protects not the interests of many, but the privilege of few. Our founders gave us a system designed to restrain this dangerous impulse. They chose to entrust American power to those most invested in the fate of our nation, a proud and fiercely independent people. The true good of the nation can only be pursued by those who love it, by citizens who are rooted in its history, who are nourished by its culture, committed to its values, attached to its people, and who know that its future is theirs to build or theirs to lose. Patriots see a nation and its destiny in ways no one else can. Liberty is only preserved. Sovereign is only secured. Democracy is only sustained. Greatness is only realized by the will and devotion of patriots. In their spirit is found the strength to resist oppression, the inspiration to forge legacy, the goodwill to seek friendship, and the bravery to reach for peace. 
love of our nations makes the world better for all nations. So to all the leaders here today, join us in the most fulfilling mission a person could have, the most profound contribution anyone can make. Lift up your nations, cherish your culture, honor your histories, treasure your citizens, make your country strong and prosperous and righteous, honor the dignity of your people, and nothing will be outside of your reach. When our nations are greater, the future will be brighter, our people will be happier, and our partnerships will be stronger. With God's help together, we will cast off the enemies of liberty and overcome the oppressors of dignity. We will set new standards of living and reach new heights of human achievement. We will rediscover old truths unravel old mysteries and make thrilling new breakthroughs and we will find more beautiful friendship and more harmony among nations than ever before my fellow leaders the path to peace and progress and freedom and justice and a better world for all humanity begins at home thank you god bless you god bless the nations of the world and God bless America. Thank you very much. All right, back with you. All right, remember at four o'clock live, we'll have uh, Nancy Pelosi on. She's making her announcement. Now, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Pelosi is going to say they're opening up impeachment hearings in Congress. The president, meanwhile, who's at the U.N., you just heard his speech, we played it back for you, is uh, is going to, uh, of course, uh, release the transcript of that phone call that he had with the Ukrainian uh, uh, president, unredacted. I mean, they're not taking anything, you know, not going to have that. They got these really cool black markers. You know how you, you use a regular, you know, black marker you buy at the store you mm-hmm. kind of see through it yeah. these black markers you cannot see through i'm just telling you they're black 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 so anyway they're not using that and they're going he's going to give out this uh, unredacted phone call that he had with the ukrainian president that uh, for some reason uh the democrats have it in their mind that the president uh was doing some kind of quo pre- quo Quid Quid pro, pro, thank pro. you. Uh, you know, we know you're you know, with, with, uh, with the Ukrainian president. And bottom line is, I can tell you this. I, I think the president has played this like a fiddle. All right? He has given the Democrats system. They're, they're, in, they're so wrought up and crazy right now that they, he has given them all the rope they need and, and literally, they're going to reach over yeah. and pull the lever and drop <laughs> themselves the door <laughs> on the gallows for themselves. Because I'm going to tell you what, if this is a nothing burger, we'll have control of the Congress next year. Well, every time they've We'll tried throw this. just about every Democrat out of 
the house. Well, he knows the truth, and he knows what's yes, in the does. tape. So, yep. so he has an advantage over them. They're playing, they're playing cards. He knows what all his cards are, and they don't have any idea what his cards yeah. are. But uh, every time they get on impeachment, if you look back in Hillary and the rest of them, every time the Democrats talk about impeachment, their numbers go down in the polls. So, uh, and just yesterday, the president, uh, according to Rasmussen, fifty-two percent. Yeah. But, you know, the problem is they know they have no one to put up against him. I mean, Biden's going down the tubes over the Ukraine thing. Warren is gathering and she has she refuses to say that she's going to tax you out of your shorts to give you, you know, free medical care. I can always say. If you want to see expensive medical care, wait till till it's free from the government, then you'll Mm -hmm. see how much it can cost you. Right, twenty five percent of the population or more is already getting it for I'm free. I'm fired up, man. I'm I fired mean, up They're already today. getting it. They're already getting it for free, and then we're paying insurance companies twenty five percent profit to administer it for is free. It, is it only twenty five percent that they're getting? Well, they're it for guaranteed free? that whatever they take in in their contract that they won't pay out any no, 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 more. I mean, I mean, is it then seventy five percent? Is it only twenty five percent? No, of the that's population? what they guarantee. No. Oh, oh, twenty five. I pulled that number out of my head. We know from one hundred and thirty eight percent poverty level in Arkansas right. and down are getting it for almost for free, if not for free. Mm-hmm. And you know that everybody that's on uh, uh, Medicare instead mm-hmm. of Medicaid. Uh, a lot of them paid into it, and the people that paid mm-hmm. into it, they earned it. Mm-hmm. They earned it. Right. But everybody from so we know that we've got so, somewhere so, around two hundred and fifty thousand people that are getting it for free for an expense of one point three billion dollars to the taxpayer. I do know that for a fact. That's free money, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> free. It's free money to the Arkansas state government. If you ask them, where's this money coming from? They say it's free from Washington. Right. But right, right. And you've heard, and, them, you've and, heard and them say it. Right. At, at the expense of our liberties and rights. And That's exactly right. So what ticks me off about socialism, and we're talking about the the socialist Republicans in Arkansas. That You're fired up about this too, state. aren't you? Already? Yeah, I'm fired up too. It'll take me long to get fired up. Hey, I work 12 to 14 hours a day to pay for their socialist programs, and I can't hire anybody to work because they're already getting everything for free so they don't have to work. The Republicans want to say the unemployment's down. It's a down because they don't have to apply for a job to get by because you're paying them to stay at home. So uh, you get a business owner here and tell you what you're talking about. But the next small business person that leaves high school to come to Little Rock to try to get a job and to make their own way can't make it in the atmosphere that Arkansas taxpayers are in right now. Okay. We That's can talk fact. about this. That's a fact. We'll talk about this later. There's bigger fish to fry today. Oh, boy. I'm just telling you. Big, right. well, yeah. Boy, I'm going to put Let's my seatbelt on. I got to <laughs> get a hold of Westerman. I got to call uh, Congressman Westerman, see if he'll join us tomorrow because. It's crazy in Washington right now. It's crazy all the time, but it's really crazy right now. Even, even I'm just saying, so. it's even crazier than it normally is. By the way, just so you all know, I just came off today from uh, Facebook jail. Really? We you were did. on Facebook jail for the last, what? Your how show long? or your personal page? No, the show. The really? show? Yeah, they took us off of Facebook long. On, on what grounds? Because we showed a picture of ISIS. Are Can you, you believe that? Me? Yeah. I show, we you showed a picture have let of me ISIS know because I have a contact with Facebook corporate, 
and I could have fixed that. Okay. Well, they you took us off because we had a picture of, of ISIS. And, and we didn't even post it. Salem posted it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Wow. So we got, well, we got spanked you know, they for took it. Out, they took down my admins on 2A Women page. And, and not because they violated any any policy. They just took them off. They said they couldn't post in all the groups. You know, 2A Women has a chapter now in every state. Yeah. And when we share something on the national page, we like to go to the state pages and share the same post. Sure. Well, they've blocked my admins from being able to share in all those state groups. Why? Well, they said it's probably an error. That's what they always say when I when I report it to corporate. They they go and then they fix it. And I said, but but why did this happen? So that we we need to fix it so it doesn't happen again. And they say, oh, it was just an error. Are they practicing here for what they're doing in China? What they're <laughs> what they're you know they don't want to. You know they're censoring they've got in these China. These working at Facebook corporate. These kids out of college and they are all liberals. They are far left and they hate and so they hate anything that we do and say. Any any people on the right. Fortunately, some of us have a way to get that fixed. But think about all the people that don't. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, that's Jan Morgan. You all know her. Paul Calvert, the Old Testament prophet, is right here. He hasn't put any gray in his beard yet. I keep trying to get him to do that. And he's still single, And then R.D. Hopper is here. Yes, he is still single. R.D. Hopper, who is not single, all right? <laughs> I got to say that Quite real clear for you. opposite. Is, is with us today, he's too. Very he's very married. He's, he's, he's double. I'll let you all know double that. Double married? No, 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 no. The, He's not single. The luscious Linda I'm, I'm is doing fine. She reco- she's recovering Good, from her surgery great. from that's Friday. Uh, she broke her ankle in three places. Oh, wow. She uh, slid off of the the lawnmower and got her foot caught in it. And, oh. Now, why uh, do you have her mowing the yard? That's your job. She loves to mow the lawn. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, and she's going to, I'll pay for this because I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> I had told her. Last year, we went to Florida. Now, I'm supposed to be in Florida right now, sitting on the beach in Panama City. I got a big enough uh, doghouse for both of us. So I, I didn't make, I didn't, <laughs> we're not there right now. So what happened is I said, Linda, last year you had, you know, you had a um, problem with your leg. You had a problem with the nerve in it. And then you stubbed your toe and broke it. And so you were hobbling around the whole time we were in Florida. I said, keep anything from happening. I will mow the lawn this Saturday. Don't worry about it. She decided that she was going to do it anyway. And now she's at home on the couch with her leg up in a soft cast until at least October 1st when she goes to see the doctor, gets stitches out. Then they're going to put her in a walking cast, I guess. Well, I'm and sure it's your fault. And I'm hanging out with you instead of having, you know, an, a, a drink with an umbrella in it. You probably didn't. Sorry, do it Dave. Fast. You probably didn't get it done fast enough for. She just wanted it done. I have no idea. I think do. I do it pretty doggone quick. But, but anyway, I tell you, the worst beating I ever got in my life is when my dad came home one day and my mother was mowing the yard. <laughs> I never let that happen again. No, you don't want to let that happen. <laughs> that's not a good thing, but, you know, that's what she she likes to mold the lawn. She really does. She's into that. I don't think she's going to be anymore because I said, you may never mow the lawn again. <laughs> I will mow the lawn from yes, now That's on. your job. I've man. already done it once since she hurt herself. But, you know, she was supposed to have the surgery Tuesday last week, and uh, she had a little coffee in the morning before she went in and she had 
a little tiny bit of creamer in it. Mm-hmm. They put the surgery off to Friday <gasps> because, because the creamer? creamer in her coffee. Really? Because you could screw up with your, you know, what? anesthesia wow. somehow. Oh, wow. Okay, we are now national. Hey, guys. Hey, we're, we're glad to have you Everybody's here. joining us. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So if you missed it, uh, you know, first half hour today, Carrie Severino was on with us. She's one of the co-authors of Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. You probably heard of the book. Mm-hmm. She was on with us. Very interesting interview with her. And then we played back the president's uh, speech at the U.N. today that he gave because I didn't get to hear it. And so I wanted to hear it, too. And if I want to hear it, it's my show. All right. So we played it. And uh, now we've got the uh, power panel in uh, coming up at four o'clock. I'm going to let Nancy Pelosi be on my show. And typically, she is never on my show, but she's going to be live today. Evidently, says the Wall Street Journal to formally announce an impeachment inquiry at four o'clock our time. And then the Republicans are going to speak a little after that, we'll carry both of those live. But you today. said that they're going to impeach President Trump. You said that when I walked in. Yep. Having an inquiry and actually impeaching that's him a start. Are two totally different. They're no, I'm not gonna, saying. I'm not saying there. that they're. I'm not saying that they're going to find him. Uh, well, they can't find him guilty anyway. He goes over to the Senate for. They just draw up the articles. He's of just impeachment. been investigated for everything under the sun. Yeah. I mean, they investigated him for everything. It wasn't just Russian collusion. I mean, that whole the Democrats fiasco. are as bad as aliens. They just, they continually do anal probes. I mean, that's just the way they do. Here. You ever notice that about UFOs and, and aliens? They got all the, all this great equipment. They came light years across the universe. What kind of TV universe, are you watching? And they I've come, never seen aliens they, do and anal they probes. They come here oh and they go to the, they go to the nearest, <laughs> uh, what, uh, trailer park, grab some guy that doesn't have any teeth. <laughs> and run an anal probe on him. Sarah Joe Hamilton oh. says. Sarah oh. Joe Hamilton says they got nothing. The Democrats have nothing. Well, no, they don't. Nothing. They have to have an inquiry because they have nothing. And do they have? Do they have grounds for the inquiry? That's I mean, going to be a question. You, don't t- you have t- to have probable cause? Don't you have to state I, that you have a based I, on I, this? See, this, they and think this, they have that with this phone call. Problem is, they don't know what happened in the phone call. Evidently, the person who the whistleblower came out is like a third party to so this phone call. So what's wrong with the president making a phone call? That's, you know what? If we're going to bring out what the president said in that phone call, we need to go back and bring out all the things that were said by President Obama to foreign leaders during his tenure and President Bush. Well, we know what I mean, some of the things were. Remember when the mics were hot? And said, yeah, he said, I could do a lot me, more. Yeah, let me get elected. past the election. Yeah. <laughs> right. hey, you're talking about probable cause. I mean, have you, for, have you gotten the Russian investigation and the judge and the, and the FISA court and all of that? Oh, man, hey, there is so much. Justice is out the window. Here, justice I, I want to suggest an inquiry. I want an inquiry into who passed the legislation that gave our legislators in D.C. the right to allocate millions and millions of taxpayer dollars to pay off, to be used for hush money to pay off for their sexual scandals. Yeah. That's what I want. I want an inquiry that, that, into that. That sounds yep. pretty good. Where's that list? Yeah, let's do that. I I also would like to donate the FOIA that. that. I think that they should come out real clearly for people and show them, show them how much money your elected officials make from drug companies. Mm-hmm. Because they pass the necessary laws 
for them to be able to put a drug out on the market. And they know about it a long time before you and I do. So that's that's, that's a, called insider trading. Martha Stewart went to jail for that. They get rich off of it. Ask John Kerry about that. It's a, it's a, it's a mess. The, 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 the money that's involved in the drug industry is, is, is kind of amazing. It's all, it also is, is one of those things that it keeps drugs off the market, too. George Lafon says yes. the sale of uranium mine and the Clinton yeah, Foundation. Yeah, there's another that, good one. That, that, we're going to probe something. Let's probe that. We've got, so a, we got a lot of things to talk about because inquiring minds want to know. Do you know what? Maybe. Here's the thing. President Trump, if he wanted to, we could have been investigating Hillary. We could be investigating all kinds of things with the Democrats. But but the president is truly just trying to take care of America's business. And Americans in general do not want to be spending money on this garbage. We want our taxes fixed. We want the deficit dealt with. We want jobs. We want the economy going and continue going in the direction it is. We want to deal with foreign issues. But all of these inquiries are taking up our time and our money. This is costing Instead us. Instead of talking about important stuff. That really impact everything talking about is impeachment that's right if it makes sure a democrat don't get elected it makes them look worse it'll probably it'll be money well spent i'm thinking (laughs) i'm thinking there is a possibility that this particular story if it blows up the way that i think it is in their face could mean that they're going to become an endangered species i'm okay with that i hope so yeah very good well could happen there's you know, 48% of people are going to vote Democrat no matter what. All right. We got to take a, a break. It's 10 minutes till 4. 10 minutes before Nancy Pelosi stands in front of the microphone. And we'll have it live for you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Back with you. We're about six minutes from the top of the hour. Four o'clock our time. Five o'clock in Washington. Uh, We're supposed to be hearing from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. We will take that live here on the air. And then the uh, Republican caucus is supposed to speak. We'll take that on the live as well. We'll keep you up on all of that. Tomorrow, the president is supposed to release the unredacted. That means uh, they don't uh, cover anything up. You get to read everything that was said, uh, the the, uh, transcript of his uh, phone conversation with the uh, president of the Ukraine, which he says, nothing in there that I have any problem with and that you should have any problem with. And I I personally think that this president has played these Democrats right into a corner. He always does. He did it all through the election. What's going to change? It should be it. Well, (laughs) I I just, this, if he pulls this off, I mean, if this goes the way I think it's going to go, this is... I'm just telling you, perfection, to be honest, because the Democrats will lose the House next year, I believe, over this. I I can tell you there is a movement of Democrats becoming Republicans. The the moderates have moved over to the Republican Party. And I'm not there's no scientific poll that is showing this. I'm just telling you this based on the fact that when Trump ran the first time, I put a big, huge Trump sign. I put Trump signs all in front of the gun cave, my business. Okay. They never lasted more than one night. People would come and, you know, black them out, rip them apart, tear them up, steal them, that sort of thing. I couldn't keep them. Every day I was putting out new signs. I put out a big, huge Trump flowy sign the other day and several other signs, and nobody is nobody is doing anything to them. And furthermore, people drive by and honk all the time. 
Try like putting a, a Biden up. sign up. I think I, know, I, I think I think that people are seeing that their lives are better, that it's better in America. Uh, yeah. With President Trump at the helm. Yeah. I think people are seeing that. Yeah. What and you're it, seeing, what you're it seeing say? more uh-huh. African-Americans. Yeah, more African-Americans are becoming Trump supporters because they're telling, they're saying, and I, I've heard this straight from the mouths of several different people, there are more jobs, good jobs, not just any kind of jobs, but more jobs, good jobs available for people. And the black community is benefiting from that. And, and they like and that. They like that, yeah. Same thing in the Hispanic community, to be honest with yes. you. Yes, yes. They've, they've got their highest or the lowest unemployment they've had in, in mm-hmm. decades, uh, as far as African-Americans go, it's the lowest unemployment ever. Can I say that again? Ever. Ever. Emphasis. So, you know, yeah. 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 Can't argue with that. Now, if you're on that part that you like to sit on your rump and not work, then I understand that doesn't make any hill beans to you. I'm of okay. course, if you're a Democrat, just go out and get some 16-year-old kid that you've indoctrinated to st- sit down and talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. That That's child abuse as far as I'm concerned. Well, did, I, did you actually, know that that kid is autistic? Well, she's an that. actress. That was acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. She's autistic. She's got OCD. Mm-hmm. That's child abuse. I'm sorry. That's, that's child they, abuse. That's what they teach. It. That's what they're teaching in their schools. That's exactly right. And why are we allowing it? It had the opposite impact. Than but, it was because to we're cowards. Yeah. Linda Collins Smith did pass a bill saying that history had to be taught back to a certain point in all mm-hmm. schools. She was the right. bad thing. The bad thing about it is we can't trust them to teach it, history. We can't trust. We can't trust them to teach it right. Mm-mm. But when you pass a law at the Capitol. Then you've got to have a probe and go back and make sure that the schools are following. Because we have a viewer right now that's watching us from the UK. Yeah, yeah. I wish he could call in and talk to us about how things are going there. Hey, but, the left uh, yeah. over there is going crazy too. The yes. Marxists are taking their their yes. party over, right? And they're doing a lot of the stuff that our parties, uh, Democrat parties, doing here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting scenario because usually we watch them and then we repeat what they're doing. But this time they're watching us and doing mm-hmm. what what. Our Democrats are doing. It's oh. crazy. Absolutely crazy. All right. We're waiting for Nancy Pelosi. She's supposed to come up here to the stand. The microphones are set. They're waiting for her to make her appearance to, to stand up, and hopefully she'll be able to string a couple sentences together without stumbling over everything. But she's coming up to talk. What she's going to say is moment. we've got to impeach the president before we find out what the inquiry yeah, there you determined. Go. <laughs> absolutely, what, what we yeah. found out. we got to impeach him to find out what, what's you know, in the inquiry. You know, yeah, 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 absolutely. Pass the impeachment. That's what they're going to have to do. So I'm watching that. We'll go to the news that is coming up. But as soon as she steps to the mics, no, we'll break away right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's go to uh, Fox and hear what Nancy Pelosi has to say. We observe the anniversary of the adoption of the Constitution on September 17th. Sadly, on that day, the intelligence community inspector general formally notified the Congress that the administration was forbidding him from turning over a whistleblower complaint on Constitution Day. This is a violation of law. Shortly thereafter, press reports began to break of a phone call by the President of the United States calling upon a foreign power to intervene in his election. This is a breach of his constitutional responsibilities. The facts are these. 
the intelligence community inspector general, who was appointed by President Trump, determined that the complaint is both of urgent concern and credible. And its disclosure, he went on to say, relates to one of the most significant and important of the director of national intelligence's responsibility to the American people. On Thursday, the inspector general testified before the House Intelligence Committee, stating that the acting director of national intelligence blocked him from disclosing the whistleblower complaint. This is a violation of law. The law is unequivocal. The DNI staff, uh, it, it says the DNI, DNI, director of national intelligence, shall provide Congress the full whistleblower complaint. For more than 25 years, I've served on the Intelligence Committee as a member, as the ranking member, as part of the Gang of Four, even before I was in the leadership. I was there when uh, when we created the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. That did not exist before 2004. I was there even earlier in the 90s when we wrote the whistleblower laws and continue to write them to improve them to ensure the security of our intelligence and the safety of our whistleblowers. I know what their purpose was, and we proceeded with balance and caution as we wrote the laws. I can say with authority the Trump administration's actions undermine both our national security and our intelligence and our protections of the whistleblowers, more than both. This Thursday, the acting DNI will appear before the House Intelligence Committee. At that time, he must turn over the whistleblower's full complaint to the committee. He will have to choose whether to break the law or honor his responsibility to the Constitution. On the final day of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, when our Constitution was adopted, Americans gathered on the steps of Independence Hall to wait the news of the government our founders had crafted. They asked Benjamin Franklin, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? Franklin replied, a republic if you can keep it. Our responsibility is to keep it. Our republic endures because of the wisdom of our Constitution, enshrined in three co-equal branches of government, serving as checks and balances on each other. The actions taken to date by the President have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the President says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. For the past several months, we have been investigating in our committees and litigating in the courts so the House can gather all the relevant facts and consider whether to exercise its full Article I powers, including a constitutional power of the utmost gravity, approval of articles of impeachment. And this week, the President has admitted to asking the President of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, the actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Getting back to our founders, 
In the darkest days of the American Revolution, Thomas Paine wrote, the times have found us. The times found them to fight for and establish our democracy. The times have found us today, not to place ourselves in the same category of greatness as our founders, but to place us in the urgency of protecting and defending our Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the words of Ben Franklin, to keep our republic. I thank our chairman, Chairman, chairman Nadler, Chairman Schiff, Chairman Nadler of Judiciary, Chairman Schiff of Intelligence, Chairman Engel of Foreign Affairs, Chairman Cummings uh, of, of uh, Oversight, and Chairman Cummings I've been in touch with constantly. He's a master of, of so much, but including uh, inspectors general and, and uh, whistleblowers. Uh, Congresswoman Richie Neal of the, of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, of the Foreign Financial Services Committee. Uh, and I commend all of our, our members, our colleagues, for their thoughtful, thoughtful approach to all of this, for their careful statements. God bless them, and God bless America. Thank you all. Madam Speaker. All right. That was uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. It's going to be awful interesting to see what happens now when everything comes out. Is it going to be another Mueller thing? They, they just knew Mueller was going to say he was guilty, and then they said, nope. And then all of a sudden, they're sitting there with their, well, can't say that. That was radio. clearly po- political rhetoric. Oh, of course I, it I was. I mean, clearly it's political. I mean, you could have just come out and said, you know, we've we've, we've got some facts. Whistleblowers have brought out some information. We're going to officially let, check into them. We're going to give a fair and balanced look at it, and we'll report back to the people. But she had to come out and play politics and, and sling mud and act like a radical. And uh, I, I thought the smile on her face was kind of interesting. <laughs> she she looked to me like she was kind of excited about this this uh, this new look, breaking development. Somebody needs to give her know, a drink of water before she gets in front of microphones. That the presidential election is over. They know that there's nobody they can produce that's even going to give Donald Trump a run for his money. So this is the only card they have to play. It's that's all they can do. Uh, I can't wait to hear what the Republicans have to say when they get ready to talk. We'll go to that live as well. Just to hear what they have to say. I, I believe the Republicans are sitting here just going, oh, this is going to be interesting. Who's going to speak? What? Do we know who's going to speak? Uh, was say? it, uh, Mac- is it McCarthy that's the, the, the head guy now? Yes. No, I think that's right. I think he'll be, he's the, the minority leader, so he'll be speaking. So we'll see what he has to say. So explain to people yeah, what not happens. Joe. Because we've only had, we've had two, two different times in history, Kevin. in American history, when an, a president was impeached. And in both cases, they were not removed from office. Yeah, Clinton. So, yeah, Clinton and Andrew, was it Jackson? Jackson. Yeah. Johnson, pardon me, Johnson. Yeah, Johnson, excuse yeah. me. But and, so, and, and uh, of course, uh, before he could be impeached, uh, Nixon resigned. Right. So that that's the three, all right? That's the three. Johnson, because he wouldn't do a lot of the things uh, he was trying to continue on with uh, Lincoln's um, agenda, agenda that he wanted done, yeah, which wasn't very popular. But for, for people that don't understand the impeachment process, it's kind of confusing because Bill Clinton was impeached, but right. he stayed in office. In, in, and that's because the House impeaches, but the Senate, uh, but the Senate has tries to, has right. to try right. them, and, and the it, Supreme Court justice sits over the trial. And, and, and impeachment does not mean that you're 
you're found guilty. No, it doesn't mean you're guilty of anything. An impeachment is like a prosecution. You're just Mm -hmm. being charged. That's right. Also, this distracts from the Joe Biden debacle, the latest one. Which one? This this is the one about his son. You know, the the investigation, his son. Yeah, Hunter. Yes. You know, Uh, working, sitting on the board of a natural gas company over in the Ukraine, making... uh, Millions of dollars. $600,000 a year. Well, yeah. With all of his insightful knowledge of the. Uh, Is he paid to be yes. a consultant? Is he paid yeah. to be a consultant? Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of the way Jeremy Hutchinson was working it <laughs> here locally. Boy, right. you, you can read my mind. <laughs> Just let me know. Yeah, you know you're reading that's my mind. kind of what it is. That's kind of the way it was. On a bigger that's, scale, huh? So that's, I guess that's nothing similar to what they were accusing Trump of, this quid pro quo. Yeah, well, that's. What it is, except that it sounds like the Bidens did it. They want to get rid of him because they, they don't him. want to see President Trump on the debate stage with any of their Democrats because he well, would annihilate them. They, they but, hate the man. They they hate all the good stuff that he's done because yeah. that's not the direction they want to take America. I agree. He's messing with their their agenda, which is to destroy America from within. That's that's the that's the agenda of the Democrat uh, 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 Party. Well, uh, I don't necessarily think they intentionally want to destroy it. I think they're just not smart enough to, to realize that. Oh, come on. You don't uh, think that they know? There, there are some are in that party me? that they want but the, that the United true, States but, but not I, I, I think to a, succeed. I think a lot of them, they're just they're just not smart enough to recognize what they're doing and, and how destructive their policies are. And and that that, that they think that maybe people should start, start riding bicycles and horses again and scooping poop off the highways. Instead of cars. Well, the Barack Obama just wanted to take the wheels off of capitalism, and he wanted to to consolidate this country into large corporations, and he can control where the corporations are at and where people work and, and proceed with Agenda 21 and get us all where they want us so we can be manipulated. Well, so, and, and that's the thing is that, that America has kind of become this corporate thing Exactly. Where, where where government can can control the large corporations a whole you know, lot easier than they sense can to me control the, who come little here, organizations. The people who people. the people who come here from foreign countries, who who actually communist become, countries, communist countries who make who become very productive citizens. Uh, I, I I personally know a gentleman who fled Greece. He fled socialism to come to America. He had two hundred dollars in his pocket. He's now a multimillionaire. And he hates watching what has happened in America with socialism because he, he it is sees destroying. this country moving yeah. towards this, the country he escaped from. Right. So and, and, and the same thing with uh, Senator Ted Cruz's father. Yep. You know, his father is, is, said, my gosh, you know, what is wrong with the American people? Those well, of us who have those people who fled socialism and fled tyranny know exactly how fortunate they are to live in a constitutional republic. And yet we're raising our kids and teaching our kids that we're a democracy or that we're a socialist nation and that capitalism is the big evil. Yeah. Well, they want you to know that those other countries, yeah, they're socialists. They just did it wrong. What we need is the Sanders version of socialism or the Warren uh, socialism or the Harris socialism. They'll do it differently. Conservative socialism. And that's why they had to kill so many of their people because they just weren't doing socialism correctly. They weren't doing it right. You get rid of the people who speak out against. That's exactly right. 
All right. We're watching. As soon as we see the Republicans ready to speak, we'll take that live as well. After we hear all of that, I'm not going to sit here and talk about it because you're pretty smart. You can figure it out yourself. Uh, Tomorrow, the president's supposed to release the uh, uh, transcript of that uh, phone conversation to the Ukrainian president. The Ukrainian president yesterday at the U.N. said there ain't nothing there. There ain't nothing there. The president said there ain't nothing there. But evidently the Democrats state that there is. So we will see what's going to happen, what happens on this. Just saying. Yeah, we'll watch the polls. Watch the polls go down as they try to... No, the polls won't go down because the polls were manipulated. The polls were never right the first time President Trump ran, and they won't be right this time because that's the only way they can get their people out to vote is to show them an indication that, hey, we might beat him. So the the polls are manipulated. Well, every time the Democrats have talked about impeachment, uh, their polls have gone down, and and it's made them look worse because it's – you know, someone can have a positive forecast for the way they want to make things better. If you're going coming in the quorum court, you can come up and say, we're going to put salary caps on the positions and we're going to cut the budget and we're going to make sure that all the money that goes to roads is spent on roads and we're going to improve the radio system so the police officers are safer. You can just talk all the great things that you're going to do for the county. But if you come in talking about that you're going to kick this person out and this person needs an investigation and uh and talk negative uh people do not like negative rhetoric all the time they want something positive they want to see how are you going to make things better as long as the democrats are acting crazy and coming up with all this negative stuff they are digging them a deeper hole to get out of well let's remember the president invited the democrats to the white house on several occasions He invited Pelosi and Schumer to the White House on several occasions, and they proved themselves to be donkey's butt. So, uh, you know, he's not meeting with them anymore, and I don't blame him. Now, James Butterfield on our Facebook post says that he's never been polled ever, and then other people are coming up behind him saying, me either. So who are they polled? I've never been polled. Have any of you? Actually, I have been. I, really? I, I, we get we get calls at our house from time to time, but but the thing is, uh, who has landline anymore? How do you get accurate polling? Well, they use they use cell phones. So so they do they do just on them. You know, they do yeah. that. They do that. Hey, by the way, I had a cool letter in the mail from the Republican National Convention Co- Committee. Good it was deal. the National Committee. I got yeah. one too. Did you get one too? Yes, I they answered wanted it. You last answer? night. I got it. I got to sit down and do mine tonight. I did. We're special people, I know. Jan. They want to know what we think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is there anything in there on the red flag laws? Uh, yes, they they talk. They asked the question. They polled about red flag laws. They polled about Second Amendment. Those were some of the it, more than once. Uh, yes, I knew that they were polling on, on those issues. They better. They better because I'm telling you, Republicans across America are irate that our Republicans in our U.S. Congress are even considering sending federal money to states to encourage the states to pass red flag laws on the people. People are mad about that. All right, let's get a first break in here for this hour. The power panel is here. R.D. is here. Wave at him, R.D. There he is. Okay, Paul is here. And, of course, Jan is here. We'll be back with more. I'm Dave. We'll return. If you want to call us, it's 501-823-0965. We return in just a rabbit's shake of his tail. You know, the left is always telling us, what we should do about 2A, about Second Amendment. 
they're always saying this and they're always saying that. The big problem is that they don't know what they're talking about. For instance, I've got a piece of audio I'm going to play for you right now. Sheila Jackson Lee uh, from Texas. We got Beto from Texas. I've got uh, who else do we got here? We got uh, Bloomberg, former mayor of New York. We've got uh, one of the folks from uh, one of the senators from uh, out there in California. It's not uh, not Boxer or the other one. Anyway, she, she's on here, and then we I think we end up with a another. Uh, small-time political from the Democrats. Jan, you're going to love this segment. Are you ready? Thinking, Are you ready? Gonna make my Are you ready? Yeah, make your day. Explode. No, no, it's no. This is going to make your attack. day. You're going to laugh so hard. Here we go. Let's start yeah. off with Sheila Jackson Lee. Uh, my bill that I've introduced dealing with, with a caliber weapon, I've held an AR-15 in my hand. I wish I had it. It is as heavy as 10 boxes that you might be moving. Uh, and the bullet that is utilized, a 50 caliber, these kinds of bullets uh, need to be licensed and do not need to be on the street. Are you, in fact, in favor of gun confiscation? Yes. When it comes to AR-15s and AK-47s, weapons designed for use on a military battlefield, the high-impact, high-velocity round that is fired from those weapons, when it hits your body, expends all of its kinetic energy, destroying everything that's inside. Well, let's just look at the assault weapons ban. Yep. We had one in this country for 10 years. Every single weapon used by the shooter in Connecticut yep. would have been okay under the old assault weapons law. They were all exceptions. Yeah, okay, so the law was flawed. Fix it. Isn't it pretty hard to define what is an assault weapon? Because it's so easy to write around for manufacturers to create weapons that... Well, if it can fire a lot of bullets very quickly, that's a good definite, good place to start, okay? And, and then you can say, argue what a lot is. Okay, let's pick it. Let's say three. If you haven't hit the deer with three shots, you're a pretty lousy shot. That deer deserves to get away. Let's get serious here. But that would ban most pistols. That would ban most... No, but pistols are different. You have to pull the trigger each time. An assault weapon, you basically hold it, it goes... Blah, blah, blah. No, those are fully automatic weapons. Okay. But just to be clear on the law, and I'll get with you on the politics, but on the law, he said, yes, you can have regulations. But remember what they struck down. You couldn't even tell people how to store their weapons, disassembled. And he says weapons in common usage get the protection of an individual right. The AR-15, for good, bad, or indifferent, is the most commonly owned in the country. Yeah. Chris, I'm, I'm willing to fight that one all the way to the end because it is not common. It is unusual. And, and no one in this country, including owners of AR-15s and AK-47s, think that what is happening right now is okay. The time has come, America, to step up and ban these weapons. The other very important part of this bill is to ban large capacity ammunition feeding devices, those that hold over 10 rounds. We have federal regulations and state laws that prohibit hunting ducks with more than three rounds, and yet it's legal to hunt humans with 15 round, 30 round, even 150 round magazines. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. <laughs> 30 rounds in a half a second. I'm telling you, there wow. ain't no such gun. 
Unless that it's on an airplane. Or or I, I, I've never seen a fifty caliber AR fifteen. Fifty caliber bullet that goes into an <laughs> AR fifteen. They make a BMP. Oh, 50 caliber. So it's not the oh, 50 caliber that you and I are thinking about. I just thought, these are the people that are telling us everything that we should know about guns, and they know nothing. Nothing. I hope you all enjoyed that listening that was ignorance on, on, on steroids. Internet. You know, that my blood pressure, I bet if you checked it right now, it would be like 10 points higher. <laughs> it just, just makes me laugh. I laugh, except that people believe it. But they do believe it, and they don't want to know. They don't want to no. get educated. And I can tell you that for a fact. When I debated that guy on CNN, when I had to debate well, that, I remember that, that. that guy, that was good. You know, I offered him to come take my firearms class for free after that debate. He I thought said, he'd get cooties, didn't I, he? And you know, no, <laughs> but I did that because I said, look, you should at least, if you're going to try to debate someone on the Second Amendment, you should have a basic understanding of firearms. Yes. And to, so that you can debate from an, a position of knowledge. But you he didn't want understand, to. Jen, All she, he wants he, to do is regurgitate this talking This guy has points. probably watched John Wayne on, on a, in a movie no. sometime, and, that, and, no. and, he, and he knows that you can shoot. He would not watch toxic masculinity. Maybe, maybe not. No, I can tell you this guy <laughs> maybe watches. he was forced to when this he was a child this guy watches Mr. Rogers and Twinkle Toes there you go maybe, but maybe, Clarabelle maybe, maybe he no. saw a movie when he was younger and he discovered that you can take a pistol and shoot somebody in the eye from 100 yards away and anybody can do it you know that Oh, of course. Anybody from, from the hip. Anybody can shoot a deer. Just ask Bloomberg. Hey, speaking of <laughs> speaking of people in politics having zero knowledge of firearms, I was so proud of our Secretary of State, John Thurston. Mm-hmm. Did you did you all see him? He came to my range the other day. Of course, really? he's the he opposite. Does know he about does firearms. know about firearms. Yep, he, he showed does. he showed, he so, showed so, that he doesn't can, just talk to a so can he get, guy. He he shot my forty five caliber okay. Kimber nineteen eleven mm-hmm. like a very boss. Cool. Like so, a boss. So can he shoot better than I can? Secretary of State John Thurston nailed it. What's, you, what's the poundage on your trigger, trigger pull? Well, you know, I've had a little bit of trigger work done on that. Okay, so well, that's cool. Li- I, I, I'm not going to say exactly, but just know that most of the guns that I have that are mine personally, which he shot one of my personally personal guns, right. if you just blow on it. Okay, it, they go it's off. Like, pow, yeah. Okay, good. I'm light. glad to hear that. Yes. I've got a 38. i got to get it worked on because it... No, 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 I got no, no. I got you need pull. to get another gun. We so need to get you out of this whole revolver thing. <laughs> no, I'm I got one thing. revolver. It's all I got. I got I got three semi automatics. You know, we need to you know, But I like my thirty eight I, I like it makes me feel like a police officer. I, I like the uh, <laughs> the only revolver I've got the forty four Magnum in it. <laughs> I got a forty four long colt Ooh, set of that's that would be fun. Yeah, they belong to a Marine uh, who, who... Is that the one that's got the wheel on it because it drags along the ground? Yeah, 45 long coat. They've only been shot once. I shot it. Is it a Derringer? What is it? No, no, no. They're full-size revolver. They're like cowboy guns with jade handles and with a leather holster and everything. They belong to a Marine. You can go deer hunting with it. When he died, I bought them from his family because they were really nice. How about the AR-15 that weighs as much as, what you say, 10 boxes? 10 boxes. 10 boxes of what? And <laughs> shoots those fifty caliber rounds. Wow. Well, they do make a fifty cal Beowulf, which is a very small fifty caliber bullet with not very much. But it's common a fifty that. caliber Beowulf. But it's a it's a pistol round though. It's, yeah, it's a it's, yeah it's a smaller pistol yeah, round. It's, 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 it's not for, like a, it's big for a you know pistol, what she said though. She what said I thought it was, she was an AR fifteen that yeah. had that runs. Big bullet, she said. Like, yeah, and I carried it. I wish, bullets. and she said, I wish I had wish I hadn't held it. Oh, yes. It scared me so badly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Sheila Jackson Lee. She's not. 
the sharpest knife in the drawer. Oh, and, for, and for those of you who don't know, the AR-15 shoots a bullet about the size of an eraser. Yeah, two, two, three. The, the eraser no, on the end of a pencil. Yeah, no, not, the, not the kind of eraser you. It's about a twenty-two. Yeah, but yeah, you know it, what? Let me tell you something. Moms demand action. Put out a put out an actual. This was one of their promos. They put out a big forty-five bulletin seconds. Go ahead. Of a complete cartridge, not just the bullet, but the complete cartridge. You know, the cartridge part that houses the the powder and the primer. They they had a picture show talking terribly about firearms, and they had that entire thing coming out the front of a. Into a barrel. Yes. That'd be a pretty impressive thing. gun. Uh, yeah, that shoots the whole thing. An, an explosive that, primer, round. Primer, yeah. the cartridge, everything's perfectly intact as it leaves the. Yeah. Can I get one of those? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. All right, we've got news. Let's get to the news uh, in just a few moments. Uh, looks like the Republicans are going to speak about this whole impeachment thing. We'll have that live for you here with the power panel. Jan's here, Paul's here, RD's here, Dave Ellswick, that's me. I'm here. Your news is here right now. All right. So we are watching uh, for Kevin McCarthy. He should be coming here pretty soon and be part uh, of what the Republicans have to say about what Pelosi had to say just about, uh, oh, 30 minutes ago. So as soon as uh, he gets on, we'll be ready to go. And uh, Artie just handed me something. This is something I know that he's been working on uh, religiously pardon the pun, but uh, about this, about dealing with, uh, if you're going to teach evolution, you should have to teach creationism, and uh, this should be part of the party platform. So you're working this. Tell us what's going on about it. Yeah, the Lono County Republican Committee uh, passed a resolution in our last meeting to go before the uh, Republican, uh, to go on the Republican platform. This will go in the next uh, platform committee meeting for the state, which will be next year, but this will give us time some lobby it. But uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity. I'll read it real sure. quick. It says, The Republican Party of Arkansas believes that all schools in this state which teach the theory of evolution should be required to also teach creation from God's Word. Genesis one twenty six and 27 tells us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing, everything that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. We believe that all men and all women are created equal, that every person has a soul and is precious in God's sight. We believe this is the answer to school violence. Okay. Uh, so, well, and the, you, know, you know I like that, but let me tell you what's, what, there, there's a problem with this. And here it is. When you open the door for one religion to be taught, which this is Christianity, then you, what are you going to do when we'll the Muslims come up and say, "Well, we want to, we want Allah to be," and then what about Satanism? Satanists call their what they do a religion. Well, you know, uh, what this are you going to do a, when the Man Boy Love Club says, "Well, we want we what we do is a religion. We want we want that taught too." Well, if someone comes, this is about the creation of the earth. This is not about. Yeah, well, each of these have their own ideas thoughts. about how it was created. Right, right, right. that's fine. I think the better we'll, we'll teach the kids. 
The people have said that a young mind, when you teach them one theory and don't give them any other options, mm-hmm. then they accept that as as the gospel because it's the only thing they're presented with. So there is one theory being taught in school. If they're going to teach that theory, they need to teach the theory well, of Why do we teach theories at all? Why don't we and just then, teach the facts? Well, I think, I think that's the, probably the better point. Is well, the thing, you got to have to be, well, you have to be a little bit... Uh, realistic about taking that out of schools. Well, uh, we're trying there's, to do there's, what there's we a can. Gigantic I understand. Majority I of you know, I'm a Christian. You know that, and I I, I love God in schools. I'm just telling all. you, I know what's going to happen. Do you remember? I'll never I'll never forget when uh, Mike Huckabee, and I don't remember if he was running for Senate at that time or if he was running for governor, but but I remember he, as a former pastor, said that he didn't believe that we should have was a forced prayer in schools because. Of this very argument, the the very thing that I'm saying, because once you when you open that door, you have to open it for all religions, whether you think it's a religion or not. And even though you know we say, well, America was founded on Judeo Christian values, and that's you know, if anybody's got another theory of how the world was created, uh, then I open it up to to teach all the theories. But when you only teach one theory as the gospel, it is worse than not. Than not teaching anything. Well, Why are we even I, teaching so, any theories? Why don't we just teach facts? Well, and I think that is a better solution. Is don't teach the theory. Just get rid of evolution. That's what I'm saying. There's, there's a there's a massive majority of Republicans right now who claim to believe in God. Why are they authorizing? Why are they still allowing this fairy tale evolution as the origin of man? Why are they still allowing that to be taught in schools? It's hard. been that, being taught hard. for thirty to forty right. and, years. And so, and so and, just just stop. Stop! Stop allowing it. it it's hogwash. It's it's. Yeah, I think well, it's one of those things that it's it's dehumanizing. It's um, it, it's it's um, it, it's. It, I think like you're like you said in the past when you teach people that they're no better than a squirrel, they're just an animal, and well, why wouldn't they go kill each other? Well, this country was built on principles. I agree. That came from mm-hmm. God's word. Right. The people that wrote the Constitution gave the authority of freedom and the authority of writing the Constitution as coming from God's word. The only answer to this country's problems is not going to come from the government. It's going to be from a moral people mm-hmm. that are using the golden rule and teach treating each other the way they want to be treated. So we cannot shy away from God's word or get away from it because it's the only answer. All right. Stuart is in Danville, Virginia, wants to join us. Hey, Stuart, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, hey, how you guys doing? Actually, I was watching Jan's live stream, live, uh, live stream and I said, hey, well, let me, let me call in. So. Well, well welcome. you guys, I, I haven't heard any other of what was going on. Were you guys discussing God's word or what? We were discussing whether or not we should, uh, that the reason we're having so many mass shootings in schools and where kids are, are so much becoming so violent is because of a lack of of uh, Christian influence in school and because people were t- being taught, students were being taught uh, evolution but not creationism. And so we were discussing that whole issue, should we or shouldn't we be, because one county in Arkansas and one school district exactly they're asking for creationism to be taught, right, Paul? Is that what the, I, 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 if you're going to teach one, this is, this is if you if you're going to teach one, if you're going to teach evolution, then you must teach creation with it. Now, the school could opt out and not teach evolution, but if they're going to teach evolution, 
then the Republicans believe that they should have to teach creation with it. So you have a choice. Either don't teach either one of them, which is fine, or teach them, or both. Teach them mm-hmm. both. That's the only two choices well, you've got. I agree got. with that. And, and, I agree with that. And I think, that, I think it's probably better than what's going on now, but I think the better solution is don't teach either. So what do you think, Stuart? Well, believe it or not, I'm a born-again Holy Ghost guy, and my wife is a, has a master's from Liberty University. We actually met at a huge church in Manhattan. That was uh, David Wilkerson was the pastor. I'm oh, sure heard fantastic. Of yeah, I know yeah. David Wilkerson. Yeah, well, I know him personally. Yeah, he was a great guy. Had the bluest eyes I've ever seen, but never mind that. He's dead now. But yeah. um, I think, and I, I grew up in New York, and um, my father and mother divorced. And, you know, it's really weird because I'm in the Bible Belt South here in Danville. And uh, I just think that it's... Number one, morality is disappearing. What is was what is bad is now called good, and yep. what is good is now called Amen. bad. Yep. They won't they won't call a spade a spade. And I, as you know, I'm like I said, I'm from New York, so I'm real direct. I mean, that's all right. People do not. I I have six children. Do you think we should be able to teach direct. creationism without teaching uh, evolution without teaching creationism? Do you think that, or do you I'm, think they should just teach neither? I would I would say being coming from my you know spiritual background I say hey who cares about the other stuff teach you know teach morality <laughs> teach the ten commandments whatever yeah, absolutely I'm with you that's all uh, but hope. it's not a perfect world and um, I, I wish people would understand that I I've been to like dozens of churches because my wife went to Liberty and she studied churches we went to Copeland's place we mm-hmm. went to this place we went to that place went to Osteen's church. And these are all nice churches, nice people, whatever. But people don't understand. There's no fathers in 50% of the homes. And well, I don't even know if it's, what is it? They say that 90, I think Jan may know, 93% of the people that are in prison, it's because of a lack of father in the home, usually. Maybe a correlation. That's right. I tell you what, if these these young people that do not have fathers would go to a local congregation— and they would find people that would mentor them and help raise them. But the government is not going to mentor them and teach them morals and solve all their problems. Well, the government, and thank you, Stuart, for calling in, the government itself stripped from many of the families in the United States, fathers from being present in homes. If the mother wanted to be on you know, uh, welfare. They're incentivizing them to get rid of their Absolutely they and did. to have more children and, and let the government the Now, they them. changed a little bit of that started in with the, in the 90s, uh, you know, that during Clinton's time, they started changing some of that. But uh, as the old thing goes, uh, the cow was out of the barn by then, folks. Do you know, that I remember every school day when I was a little girl began with prayer. Yep. We all prayed. And then we said the Pledge of Allegiance. And I remember when my little girl, when I moved her from public school to a private Christian school. They did the same thing. Yeah. And she said, Mom, you know, one of the things that stuck out with her, she said, Mom, it is so comforting every day that our teacher begins our class day by praying for us. Mm-hmm. And she said that I can't tell you how 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 that feels and how much that means to me. And that right. was just the difference between moving her from public school to private Christian school. All right. We want to talk to our favorite Republican out in Paris, Arkansas. Hey, Eric, how are you? Hey, doing good. How about yourself? We're doing great. What do you think? Well, hey, uh, 
I um, I was a pastor of Assembly of God Church, and uh, I, you know, the, the thing is to get our <laughs> country back <clears throat> the way it it really needs to get. And I don't know how, other than just uh, you know prayer and a, and a and a revival in our in our nation, it's going to get there. But um, <clears throat> with and, and I understand what what Jan was saying. I run into this. If you're going to allow prayer, if you're going to allow this, that, and the other, you're going to have to allow everybody to have their beliefs. But the thing is, what 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 I see is we were founded on you know, Judeo-Christian values, and that's what we were as a nation when we were founded. And we have allowed people to come in from you know all over for. For, for years, and w- we would teach the Bible in school, and they would learn what we were founded on, and we had no problems. But with the political correctness, we, we've got to the point where we have to let everybody's beliefs be, uh, you know, taught as equal with ours. I mean, we're our own country, and uh, the way I feel about it is, if you don't like it, get out. Don't come here. We are a Christian nation. The 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 God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is is what we were founded on. And when you come here, I mean, you need to assimilate, uh, uh, accept what we offer, you know, and don't come here and try to force us to be like uh, Islam, uh, Hinduism, and all that. Either come here and accept what we offer and understand that's what's going to be accepted here. You want to practice what you practice, that's fine. Don't try to force it down our throats and don't get offended. If if I went to Saudi Arabia or in any other nation, I wouldn't get upset if they do a Muslim prayer or a Hindu prayer. That's their culture. But here in America – when we try to stand up and do our thing, everybody's offended and our politicians and everything cave to the pressure. And I think that's what needs to be addressed first. What were we founded on? And, and let's get back to the basics. Um, that's, that's, that's the only way I see we're going to you know, pull out of the issues we face today. All right, Amen. Eric, thank you very much. We appreciate your Amen. call. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. Final segment of the Power Panel coming up here next on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show at the Power Panel today. Coming up in the next hour is the uh, the Bible guys, and they'll be here to answer any of your questions about Scripture or, you know, just questions you might have you know was was god a alien or whatever you know if you got one of those questions they'll be happy to try to i got something to, to do here. that what you got sheriff sheriff chris brown you know okay. the first sheriff in arkansas to take a public formal stand against red flag laws been on state. the show yeah. about it yes his wonderful beautiful intelligent wife Allie brown said this about the whole issue of school violence she says we have a parenting problem when we shirked our responsibility to educate and train our own children and handed them over to the government instead, what did we expect? Get the government out of education. If you really want to stop a lot of the stuff that's being taught in your schools, what we need is for all the parents to show up at the Capitol for the, the Board of Education and tell them to quit teaching it. 
Yeah, right. and get on Period. the school boards. And get on the school yeah, boards. That's why you got to run for school well, boards. Well, the school boards the school anymore, board Jan, don't really have much of a say. Well, it's a state. The state is as bad as the the Federal right. Board of you're, Education. And just yeah. show up at the Capitol, period, when we've got so many government agents that are actually up there lobbying with your tax dollars, my tax dollars, and hardly any well, regular We have a school citizens. teacher in this room who can tell you uh, what it's like to be a teacher and, and having a State Department of Education run by someone who's never been in a classroom. Yep. I mean, Mom, I what, do you think? what do you think is the answer to uh, making education better? I mean, Arkansas is still at the bottom of the nation, and you taught in Arkansas schools. What is the solution? Come here. What? Let the teachers teach what our teachers taught. They want to. They just do not like being utilizing class time, honoring and recognizing things that do not truly reflect the real education for yeah, you told me for years that one of the problems is you all have to spend your time teaching tests. You have to teach kids how to pass standardized tests rather than teaching them how to learn. The yeah, worst test in right. the state of Arkansas that we ever adopted, which they adopt a new one about every two years, mm-hmm. was park testing. And the, the park testing was terrible. It was full of all kinds of rhetoric and brainwashing material. And uh, just like Paul says, when it come time for the state to renew their contract for park testing, I showed up to speak against it as the only parent in the state of Arkansas that showed up to speak against it. And there were 50 school teachers and superintendents there to tell how wonderful that testing was because it would help their school get more money if they if they did good on the test. So the superintendents was there, a handful of teachers from the Arkansas Education uh, Alliance, Alliance or, or, or group was there to say how wonderful it was, and there was one parent to say up there oh, say you're it, subjecting right. our children to a bunch of of rhetoric, right. and, and, and that's and that's part of the problem. Is that we've got we've got lots and lots of government funded lobbying going on. And not enough regular citizens. Yeah, we were paying those superintendents and teachers to be there. But they should be arrested for that. To lobby for uh, more more indoctrination for our children and more federal money to come in so the teachers have less restrictions on on how they teach their you class know what? or when more I, restrictions. When I spent five months traveling the state listening, I had special meetings just with educators Not where I went to tell them what I would do for them if I was elected to office, but to listen to them. And I asked them specifically, what is wrong? What can we do as a state to help you do your job? And they said exactly what my mother just said. Get the state out of our way. Let teachers do what they teach, what they do best, which is teach our kids. That's but, you know, if you look at the state legislature, and you go up there and lobby and you watch it, uh, no one really goes down and starts at the bottom and talk to the teachers in the classrooms and start at the bottom with the kids and see what mm-hmm. the kids need. They contact the superintendents and the people doing the budgets and the people at the top. So instead of starting at the bottom and coming up to solve a problem, they're always wanting to start at the top and work their well, way and, down. And, and, and we and don't have... treat our teachers well. You know, one of the things teachers told me, They said, look, we're treated like state employees in every way except the one way that would benefit us most, and that is we're we're called state employees, but we don't get the same insurance that the rest of the state employees get. 
So if you're gonna if you're gonna treat us like state employees and call us state employees, then why don't you give us the same benefits that state employees have? I heard that if I heard it once, I heard it a million times across this state. Uh, you know, I, I think that that we need to start listening more to our teachers, and we need to get people in high ranking positions in the board of education. If we're gonna have a board of education, it should be made up of teachers, people Teach. who have been in the classrooms. That are still in the classrooms. Teachers are afraid to speak out. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Teachers are afraid to speak out in a public manner that they will lose, lose their job. jobs from mm-hmm. the superintendents if they speak out. Is that correct? Yeah, she's saying that's correct. I've, I've seen them come into Tea Party meetings and they wouldn't sign the roster yep. to say that they were there, <laughs> afraid that someone on the school board or the or find the out. superintendent well. would find out and they would lose their jobs. It's also the, hard to teach a teachers class when you ought to have a, discipline your kids. Teachers ought to have just as much freedom of speech without repercussion as any other American. Well, that's true. And, 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 but, but what's frustrating, though, is it's not, not that the teachers don't just come down. We've got these government-funded lobbyists, these teachers, and uh, some of them are teachers. I think some of them are administrators. They're coming down from what I understand. A lot of these people are coming down on state time. They're not just taking off work to come out and, and engage in free speech. From what I gather, I think a lot of them are actually on state time, maybe even driving state vehicles. Well, they were coming down Monday through Friday during working hours. I don't know if they if they took uh, time off, time off time, or time, not. Time, but time. but boy, there was sure a room full of them there. And it's not just it's not just that organization. It's it's other government agencies as well. All for right. sure. Anyway, we are out of time today for the power panel. For all of you who have joined us across the fruited plain of the USA, thank you so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Jan Morgan, thank you for coming in. It's always birthday. a pleasure, and happy birthday to your happy birthday, beautiful Mama. mother. There you go. Uh, happy right. birthday. She, she, she's looking great at 22 years old. And then Paul is looking fantastic. That's right. And then we're looking over at Marty. Thanks for coming in. Bible guys are next. Yeah, Stick around. You might learn something here on the Dave Ellswick Show. There you go. All right. We're going to make a move to Fox, and uh, we're hearing from the minority leader right now. Focus on the American public. Our job is to make tomorrow better than today. Our job is to legislate, not to continue to investigate something in the back when you cannot find any reason to impeach this president. This election is over. I realize 2016 did not turn out the way Speaker Pelosi wanted it to happen, but she cannot change the laws of this Congress. She cannot unilaterally decide We're in an impeachment inquiry. What she said today made no difference of what's been going on. It's no different than what Nadler's been trying to do. It's time to put the public before politics. Thank you. Are you afraid that you're on the wrong side of this? Okay. That's all that's going to be said from the Republican side at this time. You couldn't see it, but uh, Scalise was... Uh, behind uh, the minority leader. So uh, anyway, it was kind of interesting to see. Nothing to it is what he's saying. That says there's nothing to this. Now, Billy's here today. Uh, Scott's not here. Steve's not here. They had things that they had to do. So he's going to answer all the questions today. You ready? Hey, I'm, uh, You're I'm always ready. ready. I that? know. You're always ready to do this. I sent you a question earlier. You did it. I'll let you go ahead, and I'll let you read them since you have them over okay. there. And uh, we will start right now. <clears throat> By the way, if you have a question, 
1-800-795-6565. Just give us a call. We'll get you on the air. If you'd rather not go on the air, just send me or send uh, the station uh, an email, bibleguys at salemlr.com. That's bibleguys at salemlr.com. I talked to Carl Kimball, who was here last uh, Tuesday because I was out because of Linda dealing with her problems, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said things went really good, and he says, I knew those guys were really smart. But they're really, really smart. <laughs> yeah, he was really impressed with you guys last uh, last Tuesday. Well, I will pass that on. We appreciate it. Um, he is always. I've known Carl for a long time. He's uh, always a pleasure to hang out with. Yeah, he's so. cool. He is good he man. Is. Uh, all right. So the question you forwarded me says: um, Do the plagues that came upon Egypt mean anything special? I mean, did each plague uh have special hidden meaning uh, and then there's a second question here which i'll come back to okay uh, so we'll deal with this one first the answer to that is absolutely um each of the plagues uh were a direct attack on um two things one the gods of egypt uh and two the priests of the gods of those uh, of, of the gods of egypt so um there there have always been rules and even among the hebrews even among the jews there are rules about um purity standards before you can enter the temple for instance uh, if you have a a growth or a boil you cannot serve in in service in the temple you can still come to temple mm-hmm. uh, but you can't actually be one of the priests who's active in in temple worship and performing the temple duties well the egyptians had the same sort of thing um, so when the when the priests break out in boils they're no longer allowed to even go in and and service the, the gods of the egyptians um when the darkness comes it cuts everybody off so that they can't go out into the daylight or they can't go out into the to the what was should be daylight and is now darkness darkness so dark that the bible says it could be felt um so these are all specific attacks on individual gods i'm going to stop you there because okay. if you've ever been somewhere where there's no light Right. Where it's dark. And when I say dark, I mean you put your hand up in front of your face and you can't see it. There is a presence right. in that darkness. There really is. You become, I at least I do, I get unnerved by right. that. And disoriented. It's very disorienting yes. to be in a place that is that dark. Um, and it appears from the description given in Scripture that this is a darkness that was so dark that even lighting a candle or lighting a torch was unable to penetrate that darkness. So some scholars have said that perhaps it was a uh, a very heavy sandstorm that came upon um, Egypt. Uh, I, I don't like that particular um, interpretation because in Goshen you still had light. So um, all of the natural sort of explanations that could explain this would either have everybody in light or everybody in darkness. But amazingly enough, the darkness fell upon the Egyptians and the Hebrews were spared that. So this appears to be, um, well, it doesn't appear to be. Scripture indicates that it is supernatural. So, but it was a darkness that was, that was a direct attack on the Egyptian god of, of the day and light and sun. Um, the frogs are a direct attack upon, they had a god that was represented by a frog. So each of these things, and you have to think about when we go back and look at that, um, it wasn't just that the frogs eventually died. It's that they had to pile them up and they became a stench in the land. So here's this god of Egypt that is now sitting out in everybody's front yard rotting and defiling the land. So yes, each of one of these, all the way up to the 10th plague, have to understand that the tenth plague is a direct attack on Egypt's most visible god, which is the Pharaoh himself. He claims to be a god in the flesh, 
And uh, not only is he going to die in just a few days when he chases the Egyptians into the Red Sea. But, but his heir is going to die. But his heir is going to die as well. His firstborn is going to perish as a result of this. So this is a double attack on um, that particular um, heresy of calling a man a god. So yes, um, each one of those was a very distinct attack upon an Egyptian god. And then the second question that was um, sent here was, what is the black Hebrew-Israelite movement all about, uh, and is there any truth to what they claim? All right. Um, uh, this is probably one of those things. Uh, let me just say that I detest racism in any form or fashion. I don't care who it is. Uh, I I don't care if you're a white racist. I don't like that. I don't care if you're a black racist. I don't like that. If you're a, um, an Islamic racist, a Chinese racist, I detest racism in all forms and fashion. And the black Israelite movement is really nothing more than an excuse to perpetuate racism in the name of God. Um, and I think this is one of those um, one of those most egregious things that man can do. When you do evil and then claim that it's you're doing that evil because God has sanctioned that, uh, I think there's little that man does that offends God more than that. So if you can explain to the listeners, what is this whole black Jewish movement? So the black Israelites claim that um, when the 10 tribes were scattered um, and, and left the land and were dispersed among the nations, that um, they are the true Israel. They are all that's left of the true Israel. And part of that comes from the fact that the, the two kingdoms that remain is where we start seeing a lot of the prophecy about God divorcing them and God, um, understand God has always made a way. Um, the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And That's the, correct. The mercies that we are shown in the New Testament were displayed in the Old Testament too. Now he was a little more harsh, I suppose, with his land and with the purity standards he expected out of the priests, but God has never been an unmerciful God. God has always been a God of mercy, a God of love. So when he's using these allegories about divorcing the people, that's exactly what there are. He's trying to show them the nature of how egregious he considers their sin. He's not really saying, I've thrown you away and you can never come back. That's, that's, he's always made a way for people to come back. But the, the black Israelites take that to mean since God divorced them, then the only real Israelites that are left are from the ten tribes, and those tribes uh, are, today are all um, black because of the— one of the descriptions of um, David is that his skin was ruddy, which would indicate that he was a darker complexion. Um, I'm okay with that, but to say yeah, that— Yeah, but dude, Jews are not white people, all Jews right? Jews are not I white mean, people. They're, they, olive, olive. they're olive-skinned. Uh, and I, I did, a, um, I did a, some math uh, out at the prison this past weekend where I talked about I asked the question, are you certain that you're not um, Hebrew to some extent. Are you certain, certain you have no Hebrew blood in you at all? Uh, and the reason I asked that question and then did the math for them um, is because there is a organization uh, within the U.S. That there's a bureau, and I think it's I've, I've forgotten the name of the bureau, but all they do is calculate population statistics, and they estimate that um, in the course of they estimate that the that mankind as we are today appeared about fifty thousand years ago. If I surrender that point, and I go, okay, I'll give you 50,000 years to make your point, um, they claim that there have only been about 108 billion people on the entire planet. Now. From the time of Noah. 
from well that they're not a religious organization so they say somewhere back in there there was a an adam and eve type um and they've produced okay over fifty thousand years they produced what is here today and from those first two homo sapiens to where we are today 108 billion people um here's the problem you run into um i have two parents and my two parents have two parents, so I have four grandparents, mm-hmm. and I have eight great-grandparents, and we start walking back up that line. I only have to go back 37 generations before my ancestors alone are 137 billion people. How long does it take to get back 37 generations? Well, if everybody in my family tree has always waited until they were 30 years old to have children, that's 900 A.D. It's only 1,100 years ago. So at some point, we run into the situation where some of my ancestors on my father's side are also ancestors on my mother's side. It's just the way it is. And if that freaks you out a little bit, understand that we all came from Adam and we all came from Noah. I promise you, some of your ancestors show up on both sides. Yep. But by the time we go back 900, by the time we go back 1100 years to 900 AD, I'm related to every person on the planet Earth mathematically. So if we back all the way up to 70 AD, uh, it's, it's trillions of people that you're related to and and there simply aren't that many people hanging around. So we're all, we all come from the same family. We're all interrelated. We're all interrelated. Um, And particularly since those, uh, the dispersion, and that's the reason I went back to to 70 AD. That's when the, all of the Hebrews were kicked out of the land, not just the 10, uh, the 10 tribes, but all Israelites were out of the land and they're, yeah, they were a little better about not intermarrying and uh, not mixing. But once they were in the diaspora, they intermarried. They mixed. We know that for a fact. So to say that any one person is a true Hebrew and nobody else is, yeah, there are some that we can talk about that. We can talk about the Kohens that we know are directly um, descended from Aaron because they had to keep really detailed records on that for the, the benefit of the temple. But beyond that, Unless you can show me records somewhere, you're no more Hebrew than I am. And guess what? I can't show you my records either. So, or, um, which really, we're all God's children. What's kind of ex, you know exciting about that Absolutely. is it means that we're all Hebrews. We're all to Hebrews. some we're some Hebrews. you know small amount. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and, and the, I think so. The heresy with the the black Israelites is that they claim everybody else is on the outside and can never be on the inside. Mm. So I, I just don't have any room for, in my life for that. So they're wrong. Um, hopefully they'll repent before the good Lord gets here. All right. Well, before I have to repent, I need to take a break. Let's do a break and we'll come back. Billy Miller's here. He is a uh, a pastor out at the Tucker unit, and Indeed. he is sitting here today answering your questions again. If you have an email, it's BibleGuys at SalemLR.com, or you can call us 823-0965. All right, so I had a question that kind of plays along with what we just were talking about. And this is, uh, when did people's skin change color? Ah, okay. If the Hebrews have olive skin, and I truly believe that Yahweh is every color, then when did colored skin come in? I hope that makes sense. Okay, so um, I don't mean to offend, but I'm going to say that Yahweh has no color, um, and that is because that God in his fullness is spirit, and spirit doesn't have flesh. So um, 
yes, Jesus had skin. He had flesh, obviously. He was God in the flesh. But he, he was in that flesh. He was a descendant of, um, of of Israel. So he was olive-skinned as well. Probably um, probably much darker olive-skinned since he was the son of a carpenter. He worked outside all day, every day. Uh, he hung out with fishermen. So he was probably very dark-complected. But he was olive-skinned as well. But God in his fullness um, is spirit. Now, when did skin color come in? We don't really know, to be honest. Uh, that Your skin color has everything to do with the melanin, melanone, melanin, whatever it is. It's in melanin. your skin. That's it. Um, in your skin. And the only thing that is uh, different between someone who's very white and someone who's very uh, dark is, is the amount of that uh, particular chemical in your skin. Um, many suggest... Uh, based on the cursings and blessings that Noah provided to his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, um, when he found out the sin of his son, and he said, "Hey, you're going to serve, you're going to serve your brother, and you are going to live in the house, uh, the tents of your brothers." Mm-hmm. That this is probably where we see, because we see uh, that that curse that's offered there, that blessing and that curse that's offered there, seems to play out. Um, uh, in what we would think of in racial terms through history, at least until relatively modern history. Um, and so the question becomes, Did could that skin um, color change have happened right then? And the answer is yes, because we have to understand that while Shem, Ham, and Japheth were all descendants of Noah and therefore would have been whatever color Noah was, they each had wives, and those wives came from wherever, pre-flood. So it could be that their wives were quite a bit different uh, in their coloration, and therefore we have uh, the color division happening right there. That would probably be the furthest we could go back. It, it could also be that in times past, uh, we weren't quite as tied genetically to the color of our parents as we are today. Uh, white people tend to produce white babies, and, and, and black people tend to produce black babies. Olive people produce olive babies. That may not have always been true. Um, there's not a lot of science to support that that has not always been true, but that is one theory that exists as well. I, I, I tend to say that it probably happened coming off of the ark. So okay. It's pretty clean to do that there. Um, and the reality is uh, we all bleed red. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, and we all serve the same God. So, it, you know, let's, let's focus on those things that matter most. Uh, skin color just doesn't really mean much to me, I suppose. Doesn't to my, me either, because no. I, being in the military, I will agree with you. We all bleed red. We all bleed red. Know that for a fact. Yeah. All yeah. right. So uh, go ahead. You've got other questions. I do. Um, so Marty had a question about happiness, uh, and I hope that I can answer that very briefly. Uh, his question. If it takes you longer, we can pick we, it up pick on it up the other side. side. Yep. His question was, well, well uh, the the brief answer to his question, his question was, does the Bible indicate anywhere that God wants us to be, quote, happy? End quote? Mm. Um, and it doesn't. The, the short answer yeah. is that the Bible does not uh, indicate that it wants us to be happy. Joyful. Um, there is there is a commandment to be joyful, but joy and happiness, and, and this is something that in uh, the, the English-speaking mind, we have a tendency to um, run these two things together and say they mean the things same the thing. Same. They but do they are not. not the same. They are not the same at all. Matter of fact, Paul says, I account suffering for joy. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've never counted suffering as happiness. It just, that's, yeah. you know, I'm so happy that you're beating me with a stick. Mm. Not going to happen. Never going to utter yeah, those cat words. Cat and nine tails. But yeah. I can say uh, I'm, I'm being persecuted because of Christ, and that brings me joy. 
not happiness, but joy. So no, the scripture um, does not indicate that God's desire for us is to be happy. God's desire for us is to be holy, uh, and holiness should bring us joy. Now, the reason I said that might take longer is because of my opinion about happiness. I think happiness is the great American trap. Why do I say that? Well, when we start focusing on happiness instead of holiness, we start focusing on happiness instead of joy, we suddenly start thinking we're entitled to a bunch of things. Well, yeah, for instance, the person who says, well, I, I, I just can't live with you any longer right. because I, I have every right to be happy in my lifetime. Right, right. Um, I, I deserve to have an affair because my wife doesn't make me happy anymore. Uh, I deserve all of the money that I make, so I'm not going to support my children anymore. I deserve fill in the blank. The moment we start thinking we are owed happiness, um, we are on the slippery slope right straight to hell, in my opinion. Um, I think happiness is, and matter of fact, now that I've said that, didn't Dennis Prager write a book here recently uh, about happiness being a great trap? I'll have to look that up on break. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think I saw the title. Um, but anyway. My opinion is that happiness is a huge trap, and you have to be really careful. Now, I'm not saying we should walk around uh, looking like we've been sucking on lemons for the last half hour. That is not the way we are supposed to live life. We are supposed to live um, joyful and content. You know, Paul talks about being content. Um, content is not, I'm so happy I'm bouncing off the walls, but it's also not, I'm so depressed I'm walking around with my chin dragging on the ground all the time. Uh, we're supposed to be um, ambassadors in this land of your true home, which is in heaven. And that means acting like you are an ambassador to a far better place than where you are now. So you may suffer in this, this lifetime. Um, but the promise you should, that you have should lead you to be joyful regardless. Um, but we do have to note that, that joy is not happiness and happiness is not joy. So seek the things that will make you joyful. And I promise the only things that bring true joy are those things which are eternal. Um, they have to be, every person needs um, something that is bigger than they are to invest their life in. If, if you are only investing your life in yourself and the little things around you, you will always be miserable. Um, and I, I know Marty very well. I know Marty spends his entire life investing in other people. Uh, he also happens to be one of the most joyful people that I've ever had the, the pleasure of encountering. Why? Because he knows what he is doing is eternal. He knows what he is doing is investing in others and investing in the kingdom work. Find something. Well, um, you, were tr- you were correct about Dennis Prager. Oh, he does have a book? Happiness is a Serious Problem. Well, looky there. A Human Nature Repair Manual. There we go. I, I, as I was saying that, I was like, you know what? Sometimes your brain comes up to the weirdest stuff while you're talking. I, I thought I had seen a title. Um, I went looking for a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned last week, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Um, someone called in asking about the Rational Bible. Yeah. And when I had been looking that up, I, you know, Audible shows you here are other titles by this artist uh, at this or this author at the bottom, and I thought I had very briefly remembered seeing something about happiness down there. So, um, but yes, that, that's, that's what I've got to say about that. Um, happiness is not promised. Matter of fact, we have to be careful. If I, I know this is going to sound really tragic, but if I find myself really happy for too long, I have to start looking around and see if I'm focusing on the wrong things. I mm. really do. Um, I have an enemy and if he's not after me, I should probably be a little bit concerned about what I'm up to, uh, and a lot concerned about what he's up to. So, all right, well, we got, 
just about 10 seconds now before news. So let's get to the news, and then uh, Billy Miller will be back with me here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's Bible Guys time, so stick around. There's more answers to your questions. All right, so Billy Miller is here. He is our only Bible guy here today. Scott couldn't make it. Steve had to work late. So uh, keeping that in mind, Billy is here on his own, but doing a great job. Thank you, sir. So uh, let me go ahead and let you finish up your questions. I did get one other one in, but I'll bring it up after you finish yours. Okay. Um, so last week we had someone call in and ask about uh, Dennis Prager's The Rational Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had mentioned then that I had purchased it, but I had not had a chance yet to to read it. So this past week, I I own the the first volume he released, which is actually the, about the second book of the Bible, um, Exodus. About Exodus, yes. Um, I have my copy of that. And do you? It. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually impressed. Um, and, and I was curious as to why he started with Exodus rather than starting with Genesis. Um, and he answers that almost immediately. And I think his answer, which is actually in the forward, if I recall correctly, um kind of sums up beautifully um, how I ended up feeling about this. I, I read the entire thing in like two days. Um, Fantastic. It, it was it was wonderful. Um, in the foreword, he says, why did I start with the book of Exodus? He said, I started with the book of Exodus because it contains the Ten Commandments. And um, as someone who has taught Torah, I think he said he's been teaching Torah for like 45 years, um, and someone who's been speaking on um, how to change the world and influence the world for years. Uh, he said, I felt it was important to start with this book because of the Ten Commandments, because if everyone would simply observe the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. if we could just get the Ten Commandments right, we would change the world overnight. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've I've said that several times myself. I know I've heard um, Scott and Steve both say that as well. Um, I, I will remind you, if you're going to check it out, A, it is not a new translation of the Bible. That is not what he has done. It is a commentary on uh, the book of Exodus, and uh, so will Genesis be as well. Um, it's his thoughts about <clears throat> Scripture. Right. So he has been uh, he has been teaching, literally, um, uh, Torah for, I think he said, 45 years. Wow. And he has written you know essays about certain subjects and that sort of thing. And what this re- actually started as uh, was a colleague of his said, hey, can you just give me all of those essays and all those notes you've been doing. And they started collecting that and putting it together and it eventually became a commentary. So it is a commentary on the book of Exodus. Um, I will say you have to remember that he is not a believer in Yeshua. He is not a believer in Jesus. No, Um, he's not. However, he's a Jew. He is a Jew. Uh, However, rarely have I encountered someone who is not a believer in Yeshua who handled Christianity uh, as well as he did. He was very kind to Christianity. Uh, he did not call us all a bunch of heretics. Uh, he did not call us all a bunch of... Uh, Jew haters. Jew haters. Uh, he did not do that. Um, you, you do have to remember in some instances when he's making statements that he's not a believer in the Messiah. But uh, all in all, I thought it was a tremendous read. It, it will be on my... I actually bought it on Audible. Um, I, I tend to do most of my reading, quote-unquote, these days, Listening. audiobooks. Yep. Um, <laughs> this is one where I will go back. It really needs to be a reference book in my library. It needs to be something that I've actually got a physical copy of because um, there were several things that I, I you know, I, I wanted to reach for a highlighter right then and highlight it. And, of course, as an audiobook, I can't exactly do that. So, Zach, we got a copy of Exodus right there. 
bring it over here to Billy. Ah, we have a copy in there? Yeah. He, he likes us. He sends yeah. us his books from time to time. Excellent. And that's one of them he did, and here you go. Thank you, you now sir. have a you hard much. copy of it. I do have a hard copy of it, and it's a beautiful book, too, now that I'm actually getting yeah. to put eyes on it. But uh, uh, how, how long is it here? So it's um, it's not even a horribly long read. It's about 500 pages. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, if you haven't had the opportunity um, to, to pick it up and check it out, I would encourage you to. Uh, I think there are things in there that you will find, particularly if you come from a traditional uh, modern Christian worldview, uh, and, and haven't looked a lot at the Hebrew roots, there are things in um, this commentary that are likely to be a bit earth-shattering. Now, I was going to say earth-shattering yeah. Is, yeah. is probably the right way to put it. There are some things in here that you will simply will change the way you see the world. Um, I was I was very, very impressed. So for the individual last week who asked that question, uh, again, with the caveat that you have to remember that he's not a believer in the Messiah, uh, absolutely appreciated the work. And we'll, I will pick up the other four. I, I think he's done um, Exodus and Genesis, and Leviticus is on its way, but not out yet. And then when he does Numbers and Deuteronomy, I'll pick those up as well. So um, the, the best... Uh, the best endorsement I can offer for a book is that I own it, and uh, I fully intend to own these. How's that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. That's good. And then I had one other question come in myself, which was, what does it actually mean to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Yeah, that's good. Um, That is, I, I can give you a very surface sort of answer for that. It means literally what it says. Pray that the kingdom of God would come. Um, pray that the time that we're spending in the wilderness, again, this is not our home. We are simply strangers in a strange land right now. Um, I don't know about you, but I absolutely look forward to the day when I am back in my homeland, when I am back Mm -hmm. in the land that God has declared is my home, not this place. However, we must also remember that the reason the kingdom has not come yet is because the work that we have been called to is not fulfilled. That's right. So um, I appreciate praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But I must also remember that I have been told not to sit around on my my hands, that I've Mm -hmm. been told to be busy, to occupy um, uh, until he returns. And occupy doesn't mean sit around and complain about the world. It means get out there and do. Uh, it's the reason I don't have a problem talking about uh, not only religion in in public, but politics in in public. Uh, there are only um, there are only two things that really really affect life, and that's politics and religion. One of these is how you're going to live while you're in this world, and the other one's about how you're going to live when you're out of this world. Um, so I, I talk about both of these pretty frequently, um, and, and I don't think we were ever called to be silent in either one of those. Um, you should be sharing your faith. You should be actively promoting your faith. Um, you should be allowing your faith to influence how you vote. Uh, I know that is a, a big no-no in a lot of churches. Um, it shouldn't be. Uh, we should never have been allowed. We should never have allowed the government to try to silence us in um, in our pulpits ever. Um, you, your morality and your faith in God should influence everything that you do. Period. From who you vote for to uh, how you raise your kids um, to where you shop, honestly. Um, And if you're not doing those things, I have to wonder if you're not accusing yourself just a bit um, 
when you pray, thy kingdom come. If you're not willing to do the work, I'm not sure you should be praying that. Um, Because you're you're asking God, if you're not doing the work that he's called you to, then you're asking him to come back and judge you uh, and to come back at a time when the work is not complete. But we should be praying. We should also be doing the work. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to come back with some music when we come back because you're just talking about we're not of this world. I want to play a little music from back in the mm, late 70s, early 80s for you when when Christian Contemporary was really just getting started. All right, 1972. Dude, freshman in college. Here's Petra for you. The year before I was born. You're a believer and you feel weird in in your life. There's a reason for that because right. you're not you're not. This is just not where yeah. you're supposed to be. Said so I, I don't. I, this is not the place I feel like I belong. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because this is not the place that I belong. And that's um, it. This place is unfortunately currently the Bible flat out calls it um, the God of this age, and that God is not the God. No, uh, and it's occupied. Is, that's absolutely right, uh, and we are here to win territory for the Lord until He comes back and finishes that task. So I, I just thought it was so cool to I, I I got involved with Christian contemporary music when Maranatha really started oh, bringing yeah. it out of uh, Southern California, and uh, you know you had uh, who was it Chuck Gerard and all those mm-hmm, guys. Mm-hmm. And Randy Stonehill and those folks. One of my all-time favorite CDs. Um, they were with Promise Keepers here. Uh, 92, 93, 94, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and they had a CD available at that conference, um, which I, I've been able to find the CD. I finally lost my CD in one of the moves. Uh, I went looking for the CD and I could find the CD, but the one they had at the conference between each song, there was some narration. Nah. Uh, and it was, it, it's one of my all time favorite CDs, but unfortunately I've, I can't it. think of the pastor's name out there. He's still, I think he retired just a couple of years ago, yep. Yep. and a new guy took over. But he still attends church there. Yeah, yep. at, there. I mean, pure, a lot of great, great groups came out of that, yep. and then it it just exploded musically. Um, musically, they've had a, a significant influence on my life, yeah. uh, just because of where their music kind of caught me. Um, I had been away from the faith for a period of time leading up to that, um, and, and had kind of just returned to. Uh, the faith and um, their music caught me at a very influential time. They're a very raw sort of time in my life where music music has this ability to catch us at our lowest lows and our highest mm-hmm. highs and change our life. And I think that's why God gave us music and why so much of the Bible is written in poetic form. I know we don't see that in the English, but a lot of two reasons. Number one, it had to be memorized um, and therefore as 
um, song or as rhyme or as poetry, it was much easier to memorize. And two, that has a, an effect on the human spirit, and, and God is certainly not unaware of that. So, Do you watch the History Channel very much? Uh, some. No, I don't watch a lot of TV, period. Okay, but. well, they had a great show on last night I was watching. I just happened to stumble on it. I like the History Channel because I like history, what can yep, I tell you? Yep. Of course, I'm getting a little tired of Hitler, but bottom line is that they had a story uh, or a, an hour program about um, archaeology going on in Israel. Right. Now, one of the big arguments that has gone on for decades, a long, long time, is that did David and Solomon really exist? Actually exist, yeah. Or are they fictional characters? Yeah. And uh, this one guy said, yeah, I think that they existed, but I think they were more like... Uh, they weren't kings the way that we think of it as they were like, you know, just had a few hundred followers or something yeah, like that, yeah. you know, and didn't have any castles or any of that kind of stuff. They have found mm-hmm. a, um, uh, dug up a, a large area. It's a fort, what it is. And it shows um, a lot of what would happen if a king had outposts. Right. And they started talking about, King Solomon's mines. Yep. We've heard about that. Well, it happens to be that they think that now that King Solomon's mines were copper mines is well, that, what, that what he had. And because that would, the Bronze Age. Yeah, you're in the Bronze Age. Yeah. Copper is extraordinarily valuable. Like 10, like 10 BC or whatever. And uh, they were they were showing this, and this college kid was out digging up shards of of pottery, pottery. Mm-hmm. and he dug up a piece that was, well, I don't know, I, you can see me doing this on Facebook, it's about this big, okay, and he looks at it, and he can just barely make out some writing on it, mm-hmm. and he takes it to the head of the, the archaeological site, and they send it the Southern California where this guy goes through all these different lights and stuff and photograph it and makes the, um, the words on it perfectly easy to read. Visible. Mm-hmm. And it was old, an old piece of pottery from uh, Canaanites. Now, if you know anything about history of, of Israel, mm-hmm. David beat the tar out of the mm-hmm. Canaanites, okay? But the bottom line was... It was the beginning of Hebrew. Oh. And uh, they haven't totally been able to uh, decipher it yet. But what they have, it looks like it's uh, it, it, it's Ten Commandment moral law that, that is on sense. this piece and goes and, and, and steps up that it takes us back to Solomon and David in the era that they had never found anything before. Right, right. Now they have. It's going to shake up Oh yeah, history. Well, you know, it's here, amazing. The, I think it was just last week or maybe the week before where they found a, a signet um, for Isaiah, uh, and it literally says signet of, the, of Isaiah the prophet. Uh, oh, wow. So uh, he, here's, for us, for those of us who already believe, we feel like that's a big win. But the truth of the matter is, we believed already. Oh, yeah. And for those who choose not to believe, you're not going to change them regardless no. of what you find. 
No, it's all so, about the heart. It's not about it's all facts. about the heart. It's, it really is. Um, at least for most people. Faith first. And, and now look, I, I have said it before. I'll say it again. God never called me to follow him blindly. Um, I, that's simply not. Matter of fact, the word Israel literally means to wrestle with God. Um, the, the, the Hebrew people, the people from which our religion came, understood that one of, the, one of the greatest callings that man can undertake is to argue with God. God's got no problem with you arguing with him. He's right. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times we need to work through the process of arguing in order to understand things uh, in our own lives. Um, often if I'm teaching someone one-on-one, if we're having a, a, a conversation and you've asked me a question, my response will typically be a question. Because I would much rather ask you questions and let you lead yourself to the right answer because it'll make a lot more sense to you at that point and will last with you a lot longer than if I simply give you the answer. If I simply give you the answer, you go, okay, and you move on with life and you've never really had a chance to yeah, wrestle with Yeah, like you've been sitting in class or something. That's totally different. Right. And if you don't wrestle with it yourself, it has a lot more power in your life if you've wrestled with it yourself and you've worked through it and gone, oh, that makes perfect sense. Um, and God, now there is a... Um, there is a passage that says it is the privilege of God, and I want to say that's um, maybe Mishnah, uh, it is the privilege of God to hide uh, the wonders of the Torah and the privilege of kings to seek it out. Um, we live like kings in this country just because of our wealth that's and amazing. access to things. It, it's one of the great callings in our life. We should be seeking out the the precious things of the Word of God. Um, if you're not spending some time doing that, you're probably too busy and should find some time. To do that. All right. So. Final question for you. Final question. Could you talk about the fall feasts of the Lord? Absolutely. Feast of Trumpets begins Sunday at sundown. <clears throat> what should we be doing during this feast? Well, one of the first things you should be doing is being excited. Um, so we have we have two sets of feasts um, with one kind of setting in the middle. We have the spring feasts, and then at the end of the spring feasts, we go forward um, to Pentecost, um, Shavuot. And then we are feastless until we get to the fall feasts. Um, there are many who will teach, uh, and me included, that Christ fulfilled the spring feasts when he came the first time. He okay. came to be the Passover lamb. He came to be first fruits. He came to be um, all of those things that fulfill the the spring feasts. But uh, he has not yet completely fulfilled the fall feasts. We, um, tabernacles, he's not dwelling here with us right now, mm-hmm. not in his spirit is, but he is not physically dwelling here right now. We have not heard the trumpet sound and the king entering into the land. Um, that's coming and that's what trumpets is all about. So the fall feast, I get really excited when it comes fall feast time because all of these, um, foreshadow the return of Messiah and the establishment of his kingdom. Now, uh, we find the description of, um, uh, of trumpets in Leviticus 23, uh, starting at verse 23, I think. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then the only other reference um, is in Numbers, I want to say. Um, so there's some interesting stuff here. Th- that's basically all we're told about it. Blow the trumpet. Um, why? Because the trumpet did a couple of things, and they're trying to tie a couple of things here. Notice that it says a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Well, what is a memorial? A memorial looks back to something else. Mm-hmm. There is a thought in the Hebrew mind 
that says the first voice of God is the voice of the shofar, the voice of the trumpet. Because when God descended upon the mountain, when the, when the children of Israel, it says that he descend, descended upon the mountain with fire and lightning and the sound as of a mighty trumpet, that we hear a trumpet sound here. So this whole feast looks back to the announcement of the king and looks forward to the return of the king. So blowing the trumpet, being excited, looking forward to the Messiah's return. Uh, we'll be sounding the shofar. Um, I think we're actually hanging out with some friends, maybe the Hesses, on, on Sunday evening, blowing the trumpet a bunch. The trumpet is blown for all of those days. It starts the, the fall feasts, and things are very exciting. All right. Billy, we're out of time. Thanks, sir. You did good. Thank you. Everybody left you alone. <laughs> you did good, man. You did excellent. Next week, hope to have all the brothers back. Bible guys, be back with you next Tuesday at 5 o'clock, as they always are. I will be back with you tomorrow. It's a Wednesday. Joe will be here from Joe's Garage. I think that Rob Steinbach is going to come by. We're going to talk about this whole impeachment thing. And Congressman Hill will join us from Washington, D.C. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.